Nerdy Podcast, a podcast offering discussions and tutorials on nerdy subjects for people who aren't necessarily nerdy themselves. With you today, myself is your nerdy dude, Georgia. With me here today, the madam in the in the portrait, my mom. Hey, I'll be the madam in the portrait. She she guards the door. It would be so cool. Well, okay. It'd be kind of I, interesting. I can't sing, but um, because she sings. Mm-hmm. But um, but uh, yeah, it'd be it'd be a fun job. So we're continuing our discussion on Harry Potter. And I think after this one discussion here, we'll probably... I kind of want to do this again for the other movies, too. The other books, almost. Um, but maybe that's something for later down the line, even. Yeah, and, and if we were going to do it, I mean, which... I mean, you certainly would, wouldn't do all of them, but which ones would you do? Oh, I'd have to do Goblet of Fire just because I don't... Cause, just because I hate the movie so much. I didn't, I didn't enjoy that particular book, either. I, I think it's filled with too much angst. I like the book. It's book number four. It's book number four. I like the book. I just don't... I, I, don't, I like the book. I don't care for the movie. And I don't care for the movie because it, from a lot of... From some of the other aspects that we'll talk about here. Um, but the book is kind of a little dense in some cases. Yep. Um, but it doesn't do a very good job. Uh, it it has to lob whole portions off to make it work. It does. And it start. But again, but one of the big problems with the first movie is it starts a lot of threads and never actually does anything with them. You never see the people from the other schools again. Well, not that you. Well, you don't see it. Well, not only so much that you don't see other people from the schools, but like you have entire sub elements on there that don't really add a whole lot to the movie um, or the books. In, in those cases, well, I want to know if Hagrid uh, really has forms a long term relationship with the other giant. That would be kind of nice, but I mean, like, yeah. as, my example obviously is just going to be Chang Cho, where like Harry's crushing on her at the end of the day. But like that doesn't really serve an integral plot of the movie outside of showing that you Harry... do see it again in, in, in five a little bit a very very minor little bit in, but mostly yeah. when you see it in five it's this notion that like she's still grieving she's still grieving you know and it's just like oh but it's yeah. like yeah but like it doesn't feel necessary at the end of the day as much as something like well I don't want to spoil it, but you never see I I didn't really feel like they developed um, Harry's final relationship. Uh, romantic relationship all that well either no but I think at the same time I mean that um, I don't want to spoil that no me neither I mean again my 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 personal pet peeve with that movie is also Rita Skeeter because they introduce her she's occasionally there in the background but that she does absolutely nothing she's not doing anything she's in the book she's in the book but when she's in the book she plays an important role in the book yeah you know not an important role but a good sub but there's like there's always like these little ongoing stories that are kind of happening in the background yep. which is kind of nice because it fleshes out the it's not all about just whatever the main plot is there's these other subplots kind of happening there are all sorts of t- side tangents but like got got to got to save save the uh the griffin is you got to save the 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 not the troll not the gnomes or no the 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 uh the house elves yeah, see the house elves. House elves, are house important. elves, for example, and, and house elves don't appear in the first book. No, and yet, and yet, you learn that they always kind of existed. Mm-hmm. And so. then, or the ghosts in a lot of cases, yeah. like, um, but no, again, like Rita Skeeter plays it's not an important role, but like she plays like a nice background role. Well, she doesn't come around until what five? No, she's four? in the four, she's in the fourth oh, book. She's in she's, four, she's yeah. introduced in the fourth book, but then she becomes yeah. kind of like your extra character on the back end for other books because she's the one who writes uh, for the Daily Prophet and adds kind of these extra articles in there yeah. and stuff. So, like, 
She's not an important. She's not a major or important character, but she's kind of like a fun background character. Well, okay, so so let's talk about book one yes, and so, some fun background characters that get developed in the book but don't get developed in the movie. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. So so let's do a quick outline of the first book in case you weren't aware of it. It was the homework yeah. here for this week, so primarily this should really just be. If you were reading, you didn't finish it. It takes. It's a long book. If you were listening, though, I found um, I got through the listen. Um, in just a couple of days, I had a trip up. I had a, a trip up about an hour away mm-hmm. each way, and then um, rode the stationary bike uh, for an hour, a little over an hour at a shot, and had it done within like maybe five or six hours. It's an eight. Uh, so the audible it version is eight, eight, eight okay, hours. Okay, so I I play audible at one point two five speed. Oh, okay. Which which is actually works very well. I'll think about that in the future. I mean. I like the audible version because, like, the the person who did the narration for it, the the for it at the end of the day, does voices. Does tried to do all the voices and had like different little ways of doing it, and I can almost see their version of the voices when I see the movie as well. Yeah. Um. So, as a quick as a quick rundown here, like, you know, the beginning of the book shows like the Durs, the Dursleys and the tired of Wizarding World happy about. Uh, he who not shall be named defeat and then Harry gets dropped off with the Dursleys um, then it goes all about this Harry's yeah how badly Harry's treated and how weird things happen so with Harry cha- chapter one is is weird owls flying all over the place and and wizards uh, kind of on the streets nearly giving away the, the game yeah they're they're in cloaks and and Mr. Dursley you know notices them because it's so weird to see people in these odd clothing yep and um, and and the owls make the news. There are owls all over the place during the day. Yep. And uh, so the owls fireworks even, into the evening. Yeah, the owls even make the news. They're, yeah, they're weird, weird uh, shooting stars, and um, and so you sort of see some interaction between the 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 Muggle, the, the, the wizards living, the magical world living amongst the the, the Muggle world. Yeah. And. Mm. Um, and and you and you 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 know get get some some background on on maybe why Mrs. Dursley's sister is, is you know is not well liked by Mrs. Dursley. Yeah, and and he even asked her, have you you know he he sees all these odd goings on and says, have you heard from your sister lately? And she she cringes and says no. No. Uh, with the end of the chapter literally being Harry being dropped off on the doorstep and kind of mentioning a whole bunch of stuff kind of in it's a nice foreshadowing that they have there at at that scene yep um then the second set up very nicely yeah and then the second chapter is literally how poorly harry is treated like he's lives in a cupboard under the stairs he's talked about like he's talked about negatively you know like even though he's just there in the room like he's not there in the room he's forced to cook breakfast for them um he was originally supposed to go to another lady's house to because it's because, because it's their son's birthday. It's Dudley, you know, because it's a uh, Dudley's birthday. Dudley's birthday, and how dare they have to take him as well to the zoo? And you know, and it basically, just kind of shows why the family has kind of been kind of weary of Harry for the most part because weird things do happen when he's around. Yep. Um, even unintentionally. Um, the third chapter is because he has no idea. No, he has no idea what's happening, and again, they just blame him out of spot. And Harry's just like, "I didn't do anything." Thing, yeah. It's like, it's like you caused all the problems. It's like, but what did I? So yeah. Um, yeah. Then you've got uh, the third chapter, which is basically all about 
the letters and Mr. Dursley's uh, it, it stern intent to try to avoid the letters. Like, the, And the letters are from Hogwarts, mm-hmm. School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. And following but, them everywhere. But, but, but Harry's not allowed to read them. Nope, Harry. So he has no idea what it's, what it's about. He only knows it's being sent to him. And at first it's one letter, and then it's five letters, and then and, and Dursley nails the, the, the mail slot shut. And then it's more letters coming in through window slots, and he nails the window slots shut. And then it's, it's letters flying out of the fireplace, and he decides they have to go someplace. Mm-hmm. And, they, and he ends up taking them. They're all like, like Dudley and Mrs. Dursley are worried about him. Yeah. He ends up taking them. To a hotel originally. Well, a cabin out on an island that they have to row a boat to to get to. But they go to a hotel first. Oh, they go to a hotel first, yeah. And when they get to the hotel, they're... The letters still find them. The letters are like, hey, there's a letter for a Mr. Potter, is that... Or an H. Potter, is that anybody here? And he's like, no, burn it. And then that's when they end up going out to the cabin that's on an island that's like out in the middle of nowhere surrounded all by water it's cold and wet and damp and it's and it's a storm oh yes uh chapter four is literally hagrid's introduction as the keeper of keys yep uh groundskeeper um introduces harry to the notion that he's a wizard um you know hates you know just actually introduces a lot because you get green gots well, the, so that doesn't happen until the next chapter, technically. Oh, okay. So, but um, but oh, he introduces Harry to like Harry is a wizard. I'm Hagrid. You know, like the Dursleys are have you know made a gra- grave misfortune of not telling you about who you actually are, are and, or anything about who your parents who were. your parents were or anything like or how they actually died because he's been told they died in a car crash mm-hmm. and that's not true. No, I mean, even Hagrid doesn't really go to the full details of what happened either. Right. Um, and then eventually he just takes Harry with him and they travel to London to go to Diagon Alley. Yeah. And that's where he gets kind of the full introduction to the wizarding world. He gets... And he really finds out that he's famous. Yeah. Because he walks into the Leaky Cauldron and everyone's just like, you know, Harry Potter. (gasps) It's as if they just saw... Shake your hand. Let me me take my picture with you. Let me... Yeah. Let me get a selfie. But those didn't... Now, keep in mind, the film... Literally doesn't no. They never state, doesn't do any of that. Well, doesn't well, do any we of that. We can talk. Well, let's talk, outline the the chapters, and then we can yep. go through where the film doesn't. Because um, the film doesn't lots, and I I hadn't realized that. So the fifth so the fifth chapter here again is also going into uh, Gringotts, um, and also where um, Hagrid picks up a mysterious package while they're getting money for Harry to go buy wizarding supply uh, wizarding tools and supplies. Yeah, so they go to two vaults. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also where Harry gets his wand and gets his owl. And in the movie, well, okay, we can talk about this later. Um, they have to they have to take mining carts down. I got that impression under, in, the, under, in the book too. Well, in the in the book, I knew it was mining carts. In the movie, it looked a little bit like a Disney ride. It does, yeah. Um, chapter six is all about Harry getting to Hogwarts. He meets uh, Fred and George Weasley, who are the first to recognize him. He has him. no idea how to get to the train platform. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, the Dursleys actually take him in the book. The Dursleys actually take him to the train station, and Mr. Dursley even even puts his stuff on a on a cart mm-hmm. and walks in with him just to show him that there is no platform nine and three quarters. There's a platform nine. There's a platform ten. But there is no platform nine and three quarters. And he leaves laughing. Yeah. Um, so he gets he 
he meets the Weasleys. George and Fred are the first to recognize him, and then eventually uh, Ron is his first friend on the train. Mm-hmm. Um, technically, during this chapter, this is where they also meet Draco Malfoy. Um, now, Harry had met Draco during when he was getting his uniform originally, yeah. uh, but just didn't realize who they, he well, was. They, they didn't say names. They didn't say names. And he they, gets his wand, though. And one of the things we learn, this is going back to Diagon Alley, mm-hmm. one of the important things we learn which is which is true throughout the book and plays into into some of the final elements of later chapters, chapters uh, later later books. Um, is is Ollivander tells him um, the fe- the phoenix who gave this feather only gave one other, and it's in the the uh, the wand of Voldemort at the it's, end. Of yeah, the it's it's in the wand of the person who gave you that scar. It's a the sister or brother wands. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, a, so, it's, so it's a nice parallel at the end of the day. Yeah, so it's an in, so it's an interesting scene because mm-hmm. because you see Ollivander trying to to find him a wand and he, you know, he tries out several in the in the book he tries out like a dozen, a dozen of them. Or, yeah. And mind you, every single time he just hands it to Harry. Harry looks holds onto it for like half a second. He's like, nope, not that one. Yeah, and, and then pulls it out and goes yeah. find another one here. Yeah. Hold this. No, okay, not that either. And it's like. Like he was, fi- so like he was trying it. on shoes or something, and like he was like, "Here, uh, nope, that doesn't look like your foot size." He well, you see him go go, huh? I wonder, Ollivander, mm-hmm. I wonder, and then he pulls that wand. Yeah, it's 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 a neat scene. I find the way that they did it in the movie a lot more interesting, actually. I like but, the way, but yeah. I, but I but I wonder if that was the common case of all wands that like you would not have like a like a room in which you would just like prepare. For like disaster to happen. Yeah, yeah. Because it seems like oh, if you were just getting wands like that all the time, I mean, you just like yeah. So so in the movie, Harry Harry swishes the wand and something blows up. Something blows up, or like something goes wa- flying. Things shoot off the wall. Well, yeah, or, yeah. It's just like yeah. And we had, and that was exactly what happened when we went to um, Disney or no Universal, Universal. Osaka. Mm-hmm. And um, we went into the Ollivanders, uh, and and somebody tried out a wand, and it, things were flying off the wall, and yeah, yeah, shooting out, you know, shooting out of things. Yeah, it was very much the same magical sort of experience. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so Harry meets uh, Ron on the train. He also meets Hermione, which is their first encounter with a know-it-all. Um, by number seven, that's where they reach the castle finally of Hogwarts. Uh, they go across the the lake here by boat, and then um, get sorted into their different houses. Harry initially they have initially thinks, "Oh, Slytherin, you you definitely be good for Slytherin." And Harry's like, "No, not Sly- anything but Slytherin." Not, he's, so like, he's literally saying, "Not Slytherin." Yeah, and then he's like, "Oh, okay, well, uh, Gryffindor." Um, it's where you also start getting introduced to some of the teachers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see a whole bunch of the other teachers. You did beat Quirrell in the Leaky Cauldron. You do beat Quirrell in the Leaky Cauldron, yes. Um, so let's see here. Chapter eight is uh, is kind of going through like the day in the life of Harry as a student, um, going to his different classrooms, getting like kind of enchanted by all the stuff that's happening around him. Uh, but then he meets Snape, the potions master, but also the house of Slytherin. And um, Snape's big deal is that like, oh look, our our newest celebrity. He already doesn't like him. No. And deducts points from Harry for not knowing stuff that... Hasn't been taught yet. Hasn't been taught yet. Although Hermione is, like, 
amazingly eager, just like, ooh, ooh, I, I, I know that, I know that, I She's already read She's got her hand, it. like, she couldn't, she couldn't get the hand any higher without leaving her chair. I don't think she, if she could, she would have rose that hand all the way up yeah. to the ceiling. Yeah. Um, but, no, yeah, so it really kind of sets out Snape as kind of the antagonist for the book, or the intended antagonist. Um... So then you've got uh, chapter nine here where, so this is kind of where the movie starts diverting from the original book where uh, Draco kind of tricks Harry into going into a duel, it was just duel in the trophy room at night. Yeah. Um, and so Harry and Ron are dressed and ready to go to the trophy room as where Hermione's trying to like, no, don't go. It's a, tr you know, it's, it's a, trap. It's a tr well, not even, it's a trap, but at the same time, I mean like, you could, you know, you could get expelled. Yeah. And eventually they meet ne Neville Longbottom, who's also outside. So they get out of the out of the out of the Gryffindor Tower. But when they tr when Hermione tries to go back, the fat lady's actually visiting somebody else in another painting. So she's not there to let them in. Let them back in, and they find Neville outside as well, who I think was actually asleep initially at the point. Yeah. Who also got locked out by accident because the fat lady wasn't there. Um. By that point here, they end up um, getting caught by Mrs. Norris, the, which is the, the cat, the cat uh, for Finch, who is the um, groundskeeper. Ground it was also a groundskeeper, but he's more like the um, in uh, house groundskeeper. House groundskeeper, yeah. Um, and so they're running away from Mrs. Norris, and eventually they come across, and then so they're sneaking through different passageways. They're getting lost, and they eventually find themselves on. The third floor corridor now, which is forbidden. Now, now prior, Dalbus Dumbledore had you know had said I wanted to say a few words, and he just mentioned some random words, and then he went up by saying, "But no, seriously, um, you can't go into the prison forest. That's out of bounds. You know, first years are not allowed to have brooms, and the third floor corridor is out of is out of bounds. You know, yeah. Anybody who goes there will die a horrible, terrifying death. Um, and this is where they meet." Fluffy, a three-headed dog. They don't know its name is Fluffy yet, though. But I, I like that it, scene. its technical name is Cerberus. But I mean, like, I, yeah. I, Fluffy, yeah. I think sounds a little bit better. It's a massive three-headed dog. It's not just a three-headed dog. It's a three-headed dog the size of a small house. Oh, I was going to say a big, a, a medium-sized house, but I mean, it's like, a, yeah, a big dog. It's a big dog. Um, eventually, what they they are able to get back to, so they do dodge Finch and Nor and his cat. Mrs. Norris, and then eventually you're able to get back into the room, uh, back into Gryffindor Tower, but as a result of that, like, they've pissed off Hermione, who's just like, want nothing to do with you guys. You guys are absolutely mad, you you know, which is not incorrect on her part. Yeah. Um, come time for Halloween, a troll is let loose into the ca into the castle, into There's the dungeon. There's a troll in the basement, yeah, in the dungeons. And eventually makes its way up there, and... Uh, but in the meantime... Mm -hmm. Ron and, and, and Harry have been overheard by Hermione talking about Hermione mm -hmm. being a know-it-all and, and not and liking her. Yeah, not liking her. Yeah. And she's taking, the, you know, she's taking this and rather personally. And, and she's taking this very personally. Mm -hmm. And so she's... She's that know-it-all that always tries too hard. Yeah. And it isn't that she's a know-it-all with ill intent. She just doesn't understand why everybody else doesn't know it all. Yeah. Or doesn't know when to just try to, like let it let it go yeah you know um so she's actually dismissed herself from dinner because it's all happening during dinner to go to the bathroom 
Um, and it's presumed that she's in the bathroom crying, you know, to, to hide herself. Because that's when she's overheard them saying that as well. Well, even some girls say that she, she's in the bathroom crying. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, so Professor Quirrell comes up into the, the hall and announces that there's a troll... And so all the prefects to take all and, the, and he and then promptly passes out. Yeah, um, and then he's to uh, then the the leaders of each of the houses are supposed to take the students back to their individual uh, dorm, dormitories. Um, so the Gryffindors are supposed to go back up to the tower. Ron and Harry uh, are kind of worried about Hermione, so they go to kind of they, find they, her. They suddenly realize as they're being led back up to the tower mm-hmm. that Hermione doesn't know because Hermione wasn't at dinner. Yeah, she was at the ba- she was in the bathroom. Bathroom, yeah. And they go to they see the troll there, and they're actually she, the troll goes into the bathroom where they don't realize it's the bathroom. Uh, there's like, oh, we'll lock the troll in there. So they lock the troll in the room. Come to hear a scream inside the room. Oh, that's the women's bathroom. bathroom. Hermione's in there. A fight, a fight ensues, and eventually, like Ron and Harry are able to uh, knock out the troll. They're able to levitate mm-hmm. the troll's club, and then drop it on his head. Because Hermione had actually corrected them in the class just before, just before dinner, earlier in the day, earlier in the day about it. About it. The, matter of fact, the, the, the class that they were complaining about her mm-hmm. about. Yes. Um, and so after that point. Um, Hermione actually just becomes their best friend. She's like, you know, she actually... She lies to she save li- them. She lies to save them because they were out there trying to save her versus she goes to the point of saying, no, no, I thought I would be good enough to be a forest troll. They're dumb and stupid after all. Um, and I just wasn't smart enough for it. And Ron and Harry knew that and came to come stop me and help me. Came to save me, yeah. And they ended up saving me as a result. And so... Yeah. Um, one of the things that also gets kind of pointed out here, which is not, which is, um, is the house points as well. They keep mentioning plus and minuses on house points throughout the entire throughout the entire book. Yep. And so they're mentioning because oh, the house yeah. cup is awarded at the end of the year. It's a big thing. And it's a big deal. So they're constantly and being, Slytherin has won it six years in a row. Yes. And so there's a big thing about how um, points being given and taken throughout the entire book. Right. It comes up to be a, a slightly bigger point a little bit later on. Um, from that point again, Hermione is now Harry and Ron's best friend. She's constantly helping them with their homework and making sure she won't give them the answers, but she'll but tell she's them. She's on they, top of them. She'll tell them if they're right or if, if they're right or wrong. On she'll the, make them do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, so by this point here, Harry's uh, they're going to their broom class so they can learn how to fly brooms. Yep. Um, their Neville, first broom class. Their first broom class. And yeah. and these are these are school brooms that they're learning on. Yep. So they're not like the best of the best. They're just like you know remedial brooms, as one would do in a financial institution. Yep. Uh, everybody's broom. Um, and it's discovered that Harry is it's a clean re- sweep. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. I love the names for them sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Um, but Harry, but it's found out that Harry's actually really good at riding a broom. He's a natural. Even though because, he's never done it. Yeah, because Neville has, Neville's Neville's grandmother has sent him. Uh, remember all, which is a little ball that kind of reminds you when you forgot something. And and Neville has lost both his parents, too. Yes. Also to Voldemort. Also to Voldemort. To which, Death Eaters, yeah. Which comes up to be a bigger point later on. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he, he's received this here, and he in the process, Neville gets hurt at one point. Um, trying to kick up off of his broom and he falls off of it and hurts himself. 
Um, when the process of hurting himself, um, he's taken over to, to the hospital wing. By the teacher. By the teacher, but he drops his remember all while he was there. Draco picks it up and is basically like, huh, I think I'll just hide this somewhere and so that you can't find it at all. He'll forget about it eventually anyways, won't he? Um, and Harry... We, yeah. Harry eventually chases after Draco Malfoy. Draco takes off on his broom. Mm-hmm. And Harry does the same as well to go get yeah. them remember all. Um, well, in the process of flying around um, to go, you know, Draco tosses it at one point and Harry goes and grabs it out of the air. Because it's glass and it could break. Mm-hmm. Um, but Professor McGonagall sees this and very sternly is like, Potter, come with me now. And so the two of them disappear from class. And Malfoy's just, like, just smiling ear to ear. Like, ah, you're getting expelled. Um, meanwhile, McGonagall, who again is the Gryffindor, uh, head of the Gryffindor house, goes to another classroom and steals another student out there. Would. Um, and basically Woods is like, well, what did I do now? And eventually she looks at Woods and is like, look, I found you a seeker. And Harry's like, I'm sorry, what now? But then Woods is like, oh. And this is where, and so this entire chapter is kind of about she's, how. She's a natural. Mm-hmm. She, he's, yeah. And so this is the chapter where Harry learns about um, Quidditch and he learns about uh, his role as a seeker, which is just a guy who just catches this weird flying gold orb. I mean, yeah, and that his father was was one as well. Uh, I don't think that one comes up in this movie. I think that oh, one comes okay. up in later books, but it, okay. it's mentioned in the movie though. Okay. Um, because keep in mind that when the movie came out, it was two thousand one. The Goblet of Fire had actually just been released in two thousand. Uh, in two thousand, uh, which is that the first three books had been written. Had been written in two thousand. 2097, 98, 99, and then the Goblet of Fire came out in 2001, that same year. So they were able to incorporate some of the stuff that had happened in the earlier... Setup for the, it. The setup that would happen in later movies. They were able yeah. to introduce it earlier on. Um, as a result of... So... They actually reorder a couple of things in this book, mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah, so it plays out a little bit differently. The, uh, um... Harry ends up uh, becoming the seeker for the team. He gets a new broom, a uh, Nimbus 2000, which is it the latest model. Deli- yeah, it gets delivered to him. Mm-hmm. And first years are not allowed to have brooms, brooms. technically. Right. Um, so it gets delivered to him, and he actually has to take it back up to his dormitory so that um, because he doesn't know what it is initially. Like in, yeah. in the movie, like it's, it's very obvious. It's what kind it of is. obvious what it is, but like they they bring it back up to the to the dormitory and then that's where he opens it up at because again first years are not supposed to have and it's brooms. a Nimbus 2000 which we learned from his trip on Diagon, Diagon Alley is the best brown mm-hmm. the newest model um, they have a Quidditch tournament where um, so it's Harry's first Quidditch tournament and Harry actually at one point a year gets his broom bewitched by what looks like Snape you, Snape's Snape's uttering uttering chant. uttering uttering chants and and Hermione can see his lips moving across mm-hmm. the stands, and so Hermione and so and Harry's just kind of drifting higher and higher and higher up the air, into the air with his broom just kind of like, what well, is bucking him at bucking that him point. yeah, um, and Hermione and the intention actually ends up coming is like George and Fred actually get underneath Harry because if Harry falls you know. Yeah, you know he's gonna he could do they you know he'll have a lot of damage. George and uh, George and Fred are actually Ron's older brothers who are also beaters. Twins, on the, uh, yeah, beaters on the team. 
and uh, they're hovering underneath you to try to make sure that he get that he gets saved if he gets hurt at all. Yeah. Um. Eventually, Hermione goes over and puts a fire underneath Snape's feet, lights which, his robes, which breaks his eye contact, and Harry regains control of his broom, only enough to see the golden snitch, and he starts plummeting toward the ground to catch it, and he accidentally swallows, swallows it, it. S- coughs it back up. And then the game is over because if you catch the snitch, yeah, the game the yeah. game just ends. And the snitch is the little gold ball with wings. It's about it the actually, size of a golf ball. Yeah, and it actually has a bit of personality to it. Mm-hmm. It just zips around yeah. wildly. It's yeah. um, you almost feel like it's a like it's more of a an animal than a ball. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. So after Quidditch, um, it's Christmas time. Now, everyone's going to go back um, home for Christmas. Ron and um, Ron, the Weasley family, though, the parents are actually going on holiday to go visit their brother, Charlie, who deals with dragons. Who lives in Romania. Mm-hmm. And so they're all going to stay at the school instead. Um, Harry gets presents from, who has never gotten presents for Christmas at all. Never, ever gotten a gift. Um, except for, like, I think Dur- Dudley's old clothing, because, again, like, because again, like all of his clothing, like is like five sizes too big for. Well, they were for actually, Harry. yeah. Miss Dursley was going to actually dye Dudley's old clothing as gray. a school uniform for Harry had he not gone to Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. It was going to dye it gray. Yeah. And it was like uh, it, it, that particular scene in the book. Like she's like, oh, the smells. Like it's because of you. I was like, well, yeah. Nobody told you to dye these clothes gray. You could have just gone and bought some. I was like, no. Um, so the big deal with the during Christmas here is that Harry gets presents. Now he gets presents from uh, Ron's mother, who knits him an emerald green sweater with a big H on it. Um, but he also gets a present, which is belonged to his father. Yeah. Which is this invisibility cloak. And the card says says uh, it belonged to your father who you, left. You, well, you you left it in my possession. Mm-hmm. You know, before he died, it figured it was about time that it got returned to its rightful owner. owner. Um, and so Harry grabs it, and by this point here... Um, and they've never seen... Ron's heard of them, but they've never seen them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this one... And Harry, you know, puts it on, and, and, like, you know, his feet's gone. But, again, they're invisible at that point. Yeah. Um, what's kind of happened in the meantime here is that um, after, after the Quidditch match, um, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are talking to Hagrid about... You know, Stape was you know, Stape's trying to hurt Harry. And and Hagrid's very much about like, no, Stape's he's a, he's a teacher. He's he, a teacher. He wouldn't do anything like that. He's here to help you guys. He's here protecting he's here protecting stuff, you know. It's like what is he protecting? And Hagrid eventually mentions like, well it's none of your business. The only it's the only the only person whose business is is you know, Albus Dumbledore and Nicholas Fumel, because he just lets off this name. Well it's also the same scene in which they find out the name of the dog. Oh yes, that's also where they find out that his name is Fluffy as well. The look on Ron's face. Mm-hmm. This is Fluffy. Like, Fluffy. It was like, well, come on, what else are you gonna call a dog? Yeah. Um. And so they've been, so up until Christmas, they've been looking in the library every time during break to try to find this name Nicholas Fumel, you know, to figure out who it is. Um. And so the concern though is that like maybe it's in the restricted section. Well, first years are not allowed in the restricted section for 
kind of obvious reasons. It's or, that's why. But I the whole it. time, it, once Harry learns the name, he's like, I've, I've heard that somewhere. It, it, for some reason, I remember. I remember hearing it somewhere. Where, somewhere, somewhere. Can't yeah. remember. Can't remember where it is, but I've yeah. heard the name. It's something, yeah. something important. Yeah. It's somebody important, even. Yeah. And so, um, eventually, with Harry with his invisible cloak, decide figures out. Oh, hey, I can. Nobody, if nobody sees me, I can then travel into the restricted section and look at the books there, and nobody will know I'm there. Right. Well, Harry picks up a book that somehow, when he opens it, starts screaming at him. He puts it away right away, but in the process, practically wakes up the entire castle, and that causes. Well, certainly, certainly brings Mrs. Norris. Mrs. Norris and Finch to the yeah. to the library, um, but Harry underneath the invisibility cloak, nobody can see him. And he ducks into... Snape, Snape comes in there, too. Snape's looking for him as well. Um, but there's a bunch of teachers, I think, look, looking for him at that point. Um, and he darts into a cl- into a vacant classroom, and that's where he finds the mirror of Erised. Yeah. Um, and in looking in the mirror, it shows him what he wants most of all in life. His entire family. In mm-hmm. the book, it's his entire family. And more predominantly, his mother and father. Right. Um, he Harry runs up and gets Ron, brings Ron down. He's like, look, look, it's my parents. You know, it's like, no, that's and Ron goes, no, that's me. I'm le- I'm head boy, which is like the head kid for the entire school. Um, I'm also captain of the Quidditch team, of the house Quidditch team, and I've won the house the house cup, cup, and I've won the Quidditch championship as well. Like, look how, look how recognized I am, and look how look how handsome I look too. It's like, um. So Harry eventually, you know, they both go back up to bed that night, but Harry keeps making secret trips back down to the mirror to stare at the reflection of his parents because he's never seen the pe- reflection of his parents, parents before yeah. and the rest of his family. Um, and then the last day that he does that, doubt uh, Albus at, Dumbledore at, is there. Towards, towards the end of the, the yeah. Christmas thing, yeah. And so Albus, um, or Dumbledore lets him know that, like, hey, the mirror shows you what would be what you most want in life. What you most desire. What you most desire. But mm, this mirror doesn't show you, doesn't give us any wisdom. It doesn't give us any knowledge. It just, this is a mirror that will just preoccupy your time forever. So you need to stop thinking about this mirror and let it go. We're moving it, so mm-hmm. don't try to find it again. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. no happiness actually ever comes from it. Comes from it at People the have wasted their whole lives mm-hmm. in front of it. Um,. So after Christmas here, they return back to school. Um, and so there's kind of a little bit of series of events that kind of happen here. Um, the trio learn about who Nicholas Fomel is, and they learn about the Philosopher's and, Stone. And how do they learn who Fli- Nicholas Fomel is? So Harry remembers that when he was on the train, he he bought a whole bunch of uh, sweet candies. Chocolate frogs, which and, come with wizard cards. And on the wizard card at the back, it, says, it outlines kind of Albus Dumbledore's sort of um, Hallmark sort of, you know, sort of ter- things that he did. And one of the things there is that um, it mentions Nicholas Fomel on there. The alchemist Nicholas Fomel. And so eventually they find out who Nicholas Fomel is, who's created the only known Philosopher's Stone in existence still. Um, and so they've rationalized that that's what's being hidden there. Well, meantime, they're... And, they've, the, stone, and the stone gives e- eternal life. It, well, the stone has a couple different properties. It can turn any metal into gold. Um, it can do make it basically kind of as a shortcut to magical elixirs. At the end of the day, 
Uh-huh. One of the things it can do is it can create a magical elixir that um, that makes you immortal if you keep drinking it long enough. So Nicholas Flamel is over 600 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, not a bad timeline. Yeah. Um, so as a result, um, they go to Hagrid, who is, try- who is in possession of a Dragon's Age. Now, Dragon Age, dra- you know... Dragon's Egg. Dragon's yeah. Egg, which is not legal to have, strictly speaking. Not legal to have dragons, except no. in Romania. Well, dragon, you, you, you have to have a license to be able to work with dragons, and you can't just freely trade in dragon stuff because, obviously, dragons are very hard to control. Plus, and, muggles might see them. They're hard oh, to... they're hard to keep... Yeah, so... Hard to keep quiet. So, they're in kind of remote places, a lot of cases like Romania. Um, so, while they're kind of... So, all these kind of series of events are kind of all happening kind of around the same time where they learn about um, the Philosopher's Stone and they're talking with Hagrid. Um, and in the process of, of talking with Hagrid, they learn when they learn about the egg... Draco Malfoy watches and sees the egg as well and runs back. He snuck out of the castle. He, he snuck out of the castle as well and has seen, or has seen the dragon's egg too. Um, in the book, what ends up happening is over the course of a couple weeks, the dragon has hatched and starting slowly getting bigger and bigger to the point where even Hagrid's like, okay, yeah, it's too big for me. It's I, can't, not, I can't feed it. I can't feed it. It's, it's, it's too big in here. Let's We need to take it somewhere else. So Ron... Offers to, uh, you know, sends an owl to his, uh, mind you, owls are how you get letters around everywhere. Yeah. Um, they're the mail service. They're the mail service. Uh, sends an owl to his brother Charlie, who's agreed, yeah, I'll send some guys over to come pick it up from Hogwarts. Um, and so what ends up happening here is that in the process of trying to, uh, is that Neville, uh, is that when Ron, Harry, and Hermione leave to go get the, the dragon from Hagrid to go take, they're going to take it up to one of the, to the astronomy spire. Uh, Neville tries to stop them, and there's like, no, Neville. And so Neville goes and runs to uh, one of the teachers. Um, meanwhile, Draco Malfoy, who has overheard that what they're planning to do with the, to help the dragon, do the dragon, is waiting by the astronomy tower. Um, but Harry, but um, Harry and Hermione, because Ron has actually been bitten by the dragon and goes to the hospital wing earlier that day. Yeah. So Harry and Hermione are underneath the invisibility cloak with the dragon in a crate, and they're going up the astronomy tower. They pass by as Draco's being dragged away by Miss uh, Mrs. McGonagall, who's caught him out of bed at nighttime. Harry and Hermione are able to get the dragon up to the astronomy tower. That gets picked up. Um, and as they're coming back down, they forget to bring the invisibility cloak and wear it on their way down, and also get caught by Mrs. McGonagall, or by, get caught Perfect. by Fitch, yeah. who takes them to McGonagall. And so, as a result, McGonagall takes away uh, 50 points each from Harry, Hermione, Neville, and I think Draco as well, for all being out of bed um, at nighttime, which is yeah. against the rules. Um, so, and they're all sentenced to detention as well. Um, and actually what ends up happening here is that during this point here, um, Harry's a bit of a pariah because he lost, because eventually it's learned that he lost like 150 points for the house yeah. because of this. Um, because it's all presumed that like Neville and Hermione were actually trying to stop him. Yeah. Um, so if, as there are a lot of downsides to celebrity. There is. Um, so as a result, what ends up happening here is that they get sent to detention, 
And so Neville, Hermione, Draco, and Harry are sent with Hagrid into the Forbidden Forest because there's been a... There's been, they found unicorn blood on the ground, and so they believe there's a unicorn that's been hurt and injured and maybe potentially needs And to they know it. that other unicorns have died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they need to put it out of its misery and try to find what's been doing that if they can. Um, along the way, even before they get into there, they actually uh, meet a centaur um, who keeps going on about the stars, essentially. Yeah. Um, C- centaurs can read the stars. They're very mm-hmm. they're mystics. Yeah. Um, so eventually, um, after a little series of events, it's Draco... And Harry, as well as Hagrid's massive bull mastiff, I guess it is. Yeah. um, Who apparently is a coward, which is kind of like, I want the dog. It's like, fine. I'll just let you know he's. The dog's name is Fang. The Fang. I want Fang. It's like, all right. Well, he's a coward. Yeah, because because what ends up happening is that uh, they they split and they go go two different directions. Yeah, to try to find to try to find it. Um, and originally what happened was it was originally Neville and Draco, but Draco kind of scared, kind of pulled a prank and scared Neville and Neville shut up flares to be like, oh, hey, I'm here. And then, you know, he was like, okay, fine. Harry and Draco, Neville, you'll stay with me and Hermione. Yeah. Um, going into the forest and they end up finding, um, a creature crouched over a dead unicorn drinking its blood. Um, Draco and Fang run away as where Harry's kind of transfixed and scared of it. Well, he's got a splitting headache. Oh, yeah. He's, something's burning on his head. Yeah. Um, come to find another centaur comes over and actually saves Harry at that point. Um, and so, it, it's not the first centaur. It's a different centaur. It's a completely different centaur, yeah. Um, this one who actually ta- talks and doesn't talking about the astrological stuff. Because the other yeah. centaurs were transfix about Mars is in a weird position and it's like okay strange things are happening yeah and so the other the other one kind of uh, does some exhibition exposition about how drinking unicorn blood will save you if you're on the edge of life but if you're on the edge of life it curses you as a result because you you know to, to kill something so you have a half-life yeah. you'll have a half-life but to kill something so beautifully innocent curses you at the end of the day yeah you know um so he actually lets Harry ride on his back as he brings him back to Hagrid for safety, which the other centaurs chide him for at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, they go back up to the castle at this point here. And and the centaurs all know who Harry Potter is. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They're very it's, well well aware of, where, who of who he is and why he's important. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually Harry kind of puts two and two together. He's like, wait a second. How did Hagrid get a dragon egg? He just he's what he's always wanted. Like, how did somebody just happen to have one traveling around? It seems a little too suspicious. And the, at this point, this is where they learn how um, Hagrid had actually given up the secret to how to get past Fluffy, which is apparently to play music or, or to play music to calm it down and make it go to sleep, I guess. Right. Um, eventually they go, they run to Mrs. McGonagall say, asking her like, Hey, where is, where is, uh, where is Dumbledore? You know, and the Dumbledore, she's like, we need to talk to Mr. To Dumbledore. It's like, well, he went to London for, he's requested by the Ministry of Magic. 
and they're going on, and they eventually kind of led up on the notion is like, hey, we know about the sort the philosopher's stone, and she's like, you will not be speaking of this again. It's in a very safe place. You don't need to worry about it. Um, but they kind of believe that. Um, At this point, do they know that that there's that each professor has done a, a different uh, spell? Hagrid has mentioned. Hagrid has mentioned is that they've each the each of the professor each of the professors have helped out with the defense of it. That's just why this is why um, Snape is. You know, this is why Hagrid always dismisses Harry's notion of like Snape. No, he helped with he helped put up the defenses. Like he's the good guy here. Yeah. Keep in mind that. There's been this, uh, throughout the book, they've also had these little interactions with both Snape and Quirrell, where Snape is kind of cowering, is kind of like towering over Quirrell and trying to get him to confess to something, or I'm Intimidating, on yeah. yeah, intimidating you him, know. and... Yeah. yeah, so it gives you this impression that and Snape... And Snape has gotten bit by Fluffy. Mm-hmm, as, as, as well, well, at one point. Um, Although that's not public knowledge, but he's... he's it's, got, not, it's not public knowledge. Eventually, like, he's seen with a limp at one point, and... He's got a gash, and... Um, Harry actually like, discovers him as he's going to... Um, he had a book with him, and Snape took the book from him. He was going to go ask Snape to get the book back, and noticed that he was bandaging, bandaging his leg and having an argument with Quirrell at that point. Yeah. To which he partly uh, listened into. So, I mean, like, the book does a good job of really kind of describing how antagonistic Snape is to Harry by this point. Yeah. Um, so the trio eventually realize that, hey, nobody's going to cut... Like, Voldemort's afraid of Dumbledore because he's the most powerful wizard ever, so he's not going to try to come into the school while um, while, he's he- while Dumbledore isn't here. Uh, Dumbledore's not here anymore, so they basically figure out, it's like, okay, we have to go stop... Tonight's the night. You know, tonight's the night. we got to go stop Snape from taking the Philosopher's Stone. Um, they come across... They're literally waiting for everybody to leave the dormitory um, great room so they can leave. They're, so they so there's a plausible deniability. Uh, Neville catches them on the way out, and they actually petrify Neville um, and go up to the third floor... go up to the third floor corridor. Um, so there's a bunch of puzzles that there's left in the way there. So... Uh, the first puzzle puzzle is Fluffy, and um, he's guarding a trap door, and so they eventually get down the trap door and succeed in getting there. Uh, then there is the um, herbology teacher has left a very nasty plant, uh, which Hermione uh, is able to uh, land on and then quickly gets off of it, and then when the vines actually start trying to get Harry and Ron... And she pulls out her wand and shoots it with fire, and the fire is like... Because, yeah, because she remembers in a herbology class hearing that it was afraid of fire. Probably she actually read about it. Read about it. And so um, <coughs> she read about it, and so she saves the two boys. They go into the next room, which has nothing but floating keys everywhere out with wings, and there's a leftover broomstick to go and grab the one key that will let them in. Um, so Harry, being a seeker rides the broom to go get the key. He tosses it over to Ron Hermione while he's still dodging yeah, the, the, the other keys, keys. The keys don't want to be caught. And, no. And, and so they're flying. They're flying away from Harry intentionally. Yeah. Um, Very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so they eventually get into the next room, which is a massive chessboard. Uh, now, during Christmas, Ron and Harry had been playing wizard's chess where the pieces, where the pieces move 
and violently attack each other to break each other when they're when they defeat each other. Yeah, when you get captured, you get basically beheaded with a knife or you, sword. Yeah, and yeah. and so they go to to this just massive version of this instead. Yeah, the life uh, size. Li- well, more than life more size. More than life like size. They, yeah. they would be they would be tiny by comparison to a lot yeah. of the pieces. Um, each one of the students takes over a different position on the board for a corresponding missing piece. Um, and eventually, so Ron's actually fairly decent at chess, oddly enough. Yeah, and so he's actually directing mm-hmm. the chess he's, game. So he's directing the chess game and he's directing everybody what to do. Um, he finally gets to the point where he's like, okay, I need to put myself in check so the queen will come get me. I need to sacrifice me. myself. Um, and in the process, the queen will come get me, sacrifice myself, and then Harry can basically... Uh, put the king in checkmate at that point by moving across. So Ron ends, Ron ends up getting taken out. He's not badly hurt, but he's knocked out, essentially. Yeah. Um, so he can't keep going. Right. Uh, the next room is supposed to be another troll. But this... Um, so keep in mind, the, all the teachers have kind of left stuff. So the herbology yeah. teachers left the plants. Hagrid's left the Fluffy the dog. Um, the charms teacher is who's left the flying keys everywhere. Mrs. McGonagall, who's the transfiguration teacher, has left is transfigured the chess pieces. Right. Um, Professor Quirrell was is the defensive against the dark arts, and he's the one who's left behind a troll, which is kind of interesting how that's dark arts related. Yeah. Um, so they're able to just bypass that one because that one's already knocked out. Um, and then Snape's left a potion riddle, so he's left a riddle about seven vials of potion of potions. Um, one of which is going to let you go through. Who's going to let you go through the door perfectly fine? Three others are going to um, basically uh, kill you, and two and three others are going to put you to sleep. And one lets you go through the through the door back. Yeah, or one lets you go through the door back, and so and one lets you go through the door forward. Mm-hmm. Both doors are now flaming. Yes, um, and so Hermione eventually. Takes one of the potions. Is this the one that I, I, I forget here whether she gets where she uh, passes out from it? Because two of the potions will just put you to sleep. Well, no, she goes. She goes backwards and goes to rescue Ron. Okay, so she goes and rescues Ron while Harry move progresses forward. Um, and then the last room is created by was created by Dumbledore, and it's basically just the mirror of Erised. Yeah, you, you go down a set of stairs, mm-hmm. and there is the mirror of Erised in the room. Um, and Professor Quirrell, Quirrell is basically staring at the meter and it's like, I can see me holding the stone, but how do I get it? Um, Harry, Harry interrupts him and basically Harry's trying to, you know, figure out what's going on here. And It's you? You expected like, Snape. And, I expected and- Snape. And Quirrell's like, yeah, you would suspect Snape. He suspected me too, but... You know, but nobody would ever, nobody would ever, you know, suspect cowarding, you know, quarreling, stammering, quarrel. stammering. Yeah. Um, he actually wraps up Harry and vines to stop him from progressing any forward. Um, and he also this, he also explains that it was him that was cursing Harry's broom. Yeah. In the earlier thing, in, in, the, in Quidditch, in the, and then he's also the same Snape one. Was, Snape was saying counter curses. Mm-hmm. And then he was also the one who let the troll into the school earlier on. Yeah. Um, eventually, a voice shrieks out, use the boy. And so he grabs Harry and pulls him to the mirror. Um, and in the mirror, again, because the mirror shows you the thing you want most. He releases most. the vines. He releases the vines. And, and again, the mirror shows whatever you want most. 
And at this point, Harry what Harry wants most is to make sure the quarrel doesn't get the stone. And so the mirror reflects that the stone is actually in Harry's pocket. pocket. And Harry kind of whisks his hand by his pocket, and it's like... The stone is there. It actually is there. Holy holy crap. Um, and so Quirrell doesn't quite believe him. And well, he asks, Quirrell, he asks Harry what he sees, and Harry says, I see... I see myself. I'm. I'm best. He basically repeats Ron's. Mm-hmm. Ron's lie, essentially. Yeah. Um, and the, the, I'm best dis- boy. I'm getting the house cup. This disembodied voice is like, that's nah, a lie. Yeah. Um, and um, after a little bit of back and forth, it's eventually revealed. Um, so keep in mind, Professor Quirrell has this turban on his head. Always wears the turban. He didn't have the turban to begin with, though. In the when he first met him in the Leaky Cauldron, he didn't have the turban on. Oh. I hadn't realized that. Yeah, because okay. he's not described with that turban on until later. Okay. Um, but so he takes his turban off, and on the back of his head is what looks like to be another face. And this is Voldemort on the back of his head. Yeah. It's really spooky, too. It, yeah, the movie does a great job of portraying this. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and he eventually figures out, Voldemort eventually tries to be like, there's no good, there's no evil, there's just power in those who... Don't you know? And those who would just kind of fight you for it. And he finds host bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, he's finding host bodies. He's just on the very brink of life. That's why he's needed the unicorn no blood. Um, but he basically recognizes but come that. Come to the dark side. But come to the dark side. You, know, you can have power, prestige. Like that's all we really need out of here. And he, but because he, yeah. he realizes also that Harry's got the philosophy. It's very much a, a Luke Skywalker moment. Oh yeah. Um, Harry's actually, he realizes that Harry actually has the Philosopher's Stone at this point. Um, but Harry's not giving up the game that he actually does or not. Um, Voldemort knows. But Voldemort knows this. Um, basically orders Quiddle to go grab the, get the stone from Harry, because Harry has it. In his pocket. In his pocket, so Quirrell is actually, I think, choking him at this point. Um, but Harry's, uh, but he, as he goes to choke him, his hands are actually burning because of a charm or a protection spell that's inherently on Harry. Yeah. Um, he can't really touch him without feeling tremendous pain. Yeah, and he's actually burning, burning him, yeah. like, you know, like fire almost. Um, eventually, um, Harry, like, hugs Quirrell, and Quirrell starts, like, basically gets burned really badly by Harry just kind of touching him. Yeah. Um, to the point that he passes out and dies from the flames. But Voldemort's still there, and Harry's actually passed out here now at this point because um, of, of what he's of what he's done of, yeah. of what protection he's used. He wakes up later in the hospital. Real and Albus Dumbledore is there saying, "Hey, don't worry, I got there just in the nick of time to save you." I realized what was happening. Mm-hmm. And um, he goes about and. He answers some of Harry's uh, lingering questions, like, hey, why did Voldemort kill me? And he's like, eh, I don't have the answer for you right now. Um, and he's like, hey, well, what, why, did, why, why was it then when Professor Quirrell touched me, like, he was hurt? Well, because you have a protection charm. You have a protection spell on you. Um, that is love. Your mother loved you so much, she gave her life to save you. Mm-hmm. And that kind of love is something that... that Transcends, sort yeah. of, sort of... Uh, transcends magic on a certain level, you know, to, to ward you against dark magic. Um, and he also kind of, um, 
gives a couple other hidden information. It was you who gave me the invisibility cloak. It's like, yeah, and I also got it from the astronomy tower and brought it back to you just in case you needed it. Because um, they use the invisibility, invisibility coat to get to the third floor at nighttime. Yeah. Because that's what you do uh, with an invisibility cloak. Oh, yeah. Um, and so eventually the school year um, comes to an end. Dumbledore... Now, I want to say pity points, but it's not really pity points. Um, basically, so gives, Slytherins won the House Cup. Slytherins basically won the House Cup. Uh, they're ahead by like a hundred, by like two hundred sixty points versus Gryffindor is in like last place because of what Harry, Hermione, and Neville have been, you know, deducted points for. Um, and so, uh, Professor Dumbledore gives points to Hermione for her cool thinking and rationale in the face of danger. Um, gives fifty points to Ron for his amazing game of wizard's chess gives 60 points to harry for his uh unflinching uh bravery in the face of danger they are now tied they are now tied with slytherin and he gives 10 more points to neville um because according to albus umbridore um it's one thing to stand in for you know it takes a lot of bravery and courage to stand up to your enemies it takes an even greater amount to stand up to your friends so as a result of Neville standing up to his friends to try to stop them from doing something horrible, um, from potentially getting themselves killed, he gives them another 10 points, which makes them win the House Cup. And then they say their final goodbyes, they go back to the station, the Dursleys are waiting for him there. Um, well, Mrs. Well, keep in mind, like, Jenny, Jenny, who is uh, Ron's younger sister, a year younger, um, has basically been like, it's Harry Potter. Oh, look, it's Harry Potter. Isn't he a celebrity? Sort of kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and Mrs. Weasley is very much kind of like, well, did you have a good school year? And like, you know, Harry's thanking her for the sweater and the and the fudge. Um, she meets Mr. and Mrs. Dur- Mr. Dursley. And he's like, you know, oh, you have a wonderful kid. I was like, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then Hermione kind of as an offhand mentions to Harry, he's like, hey, remember... If they give you any shit, you can give you know, any trouble. You can use magic on them. And Harry's like, "Well, I'm not supposed to use magic outside of school." It's like, do you think they really know that rule? Yeah. So, um, and that's where the book leaves us off at. Well, and and a thing about Mrs. Weasley, um, that she tells she tells um, her kids on the first day when they meet at the train. Mm-hmm. Okay, when they first meet Harry. Um, don't stare at him don't you know it must be difficult um to to be who he is to be who he is and um she's very understanding yeah she she actually has a lot of empathy for for harry and she and she kind of becomes like an aunt at at yeah. a certain point like yeah. she becomes like harry's like step aunt pretty much because like she really pretty much become a, ultimately the weasleys pretty much become his step family yeah they, they're pretty close you know, to adopt him yeah i mean Harry, I think, finds more comfort with them than he does with the Dursleys. Oh, yeah. Much more. Oh, very easily. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, the book's a pretty easy read, I think, at the end of the day. It's well done in a sense where, like, it's relatively easy for a child to be able to read this without too much issue, I would think. I think well, there's some words. I, mean, I think of a fourth or fifth grade level, she should be able to read this. There'd be, probably be some things you'd still look up. I mean, here's 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 my comment: is is I've had the opportunity over the year to uh, over the years to to read really good prose, mm-hmm. and um, there you know there are authors that are just so good at at description and um, 
creating atmosphere. Yeah, and all the and it's what makes Tolstoy a good a good author. It's it's um, I remember years ago when I was going to Morocco, I read a book um, by Edith Wharton, who had who had written Age of Innocence and was a marvelous writer at the turn of the century. And she had traveled in, in 1916 to Morocco as the guest of the governor's wife. Um, and her description of Morocco, the book was worth it just for the adjectives that were used, just for the way things were described. It's the mm. combination of words. And this is, so, so J.K. Rowling is really good prose. It's really, really good prose. It's it's a page turner because you want to see where it's going, but it's mm -hmm. not just the story; it's the way it's told. Oh yeah, it, and, it's and you see it, in the, kind you of the see events. it in that that first chapter in which she's describing the Dursleys. You absolutely know who the Dursleys are. Oh yeah, and and it's the way they're described and. Um, the description of the cat and the description of the weird people in cloaks and the owls flying around and and all of that is so evocative that you you want to know where it's taking you it makes you curious for more and and that's a unique thing so it isn't just the story that's being told it's the way it's written mm -hmm. because as you can see from just your description this is this is a book with lots of little tangents that, that need balancing again a lot like Tolstoy but um, the, you know lots of little interwoven things elements that, that are kind of in the background that are not they, initially they, important but kind of something that kind of draws it, your they, attention they give it texture mm -hmm. and, and and in some ways in, in other ways they give it context and and so it's well written and I remember when I was reading these with your your youngest brother that there were times when I would sneak the book out of the room and keep reading, and then the next day I'd be reading again what I'd read the night before because I'd read ahead because mm -hmm. I wanted to know where it was going. Yeah. Um, and so it's really well written, and I think that's what makes it an easy read because these are long books. Oh, yeah. Well, this first book, not so much, but the later ones get longer right. and longer. Even this first one's got to be 300, 400 pages, No. Well, there's 400, like, there's almost like 5,000 pages in total. Oh, I thought between. there were six in total. Anyway, no, you're undoubtedly right. But it, it just, um, it's it's just really well done. It's yeah, well written. It's, it's well written, absolutely. Um, again, I'm, 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 I'm enamored by the fact of how much exposition eventually has to get delivered at a certain point. Um, because again, like it's not, it, if you were doing something that was in kind of the modern world, you don't need to really describe how things work in a lot of cases or a lot of, uh, nuances of certain stuff. Like again, you wouldn't really need to necessarily do the nuance of, you know, pure bloods versus muggles versus half bloods, you know, sort of stuff, because that would be inherent to the world that we're already in. I mean, like it'd basically be the notion of like, oh yeah, this is a cell phone. Oh, we all know what a cell phone does. You, yeah. know, you just need to look at the model and be like, oh, I know what the cell phone does. I either talk on it, I use it to surf the internet, or I use it to eventually say, like, hello, can you hear me? Yeah. Because it's one of those very old-fashioned cell phones. But because it's a, there's this extra level of exposition that's being layered in throughout the entire book, which does a good job, I felt, of giving you enough, giving you enough information to flesh out the world, but enough that also says, you know when you come across this thing, you kind of want to go back and be like, oh, that's right, I did read that. Because again, the thing with like Nicholas Femmel as an example, 
his name is mentioned very early on on the train scene with the with the wizarding card. Yeah. Um, and again, it's such a fleeting sort of moment that it doesn't seem very important at all. It's not your attention's not drawn to it at all. Yeah. And then so when it comes up later, you're like, "Oh, that's right. We had heard that word before." And you kind of and you kind of almost want to go back into the earlier pages of the book to try to figure out like where that term where you heard that term so you could reread that part and you would be smarter than the characters at that point if you hadn't already remembered but then and and you know speaking again of the wizarding cards it's it's where harry gets first introduced to the idea that something that's in a portrait isn't in a portrait ron's actually amazed you mean in your world the the things just stay there they have time to just stay there he's got other things to do yeah and uh, oh, at one point rick runs so there's another kid um who's in who's in there who's got a poster of a soccer player from manchester united mm-hmm. and ron's forever trying to make the picture move and he's just always just amazed at, like it doesn't the guy that doesn't move the guy's just there all the time right. he's just yeah. like what would you be doing there the entire time you've got you don't you have other stuff you want to go do instead um and or that you can't even talk to it at all and he's forever trying to get it to move yeah yeah just, so, just enamored by that so so you get what you get is in in a one point you know um harry makes an analogy analogy when he's learning the rules of quidditch uh, about the one ball that goes through the hoop oh like basketball and woods like what's that yeah and so you get it from i think it's kind of cute that you get it from both sides you get that that the wizards live enough in their own world that they don't understand what's going on in the muggle world Mm -hmm. and and you get kind of enough rationale that like oh yeah this is a metaphor for what this is so the audience can pick up on it and be like ah okay now i get what you're trying to say well and 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 then you also have the in in the um in the last uh chapter you have um hermione when they're in the room with all the potions Mm -hmm. she says oh this is a logic puzzle it makes perfect sense that, that that snape would do this because Wizards aren't good mm-hmm. at logic. Yeah, at using logic because you have to kind of eliminate, according to this, you know, the description of the bottles and stuff, which one it is that you ultimately want. It's not this. It's not that because of this. It's not this because of this. It's and that's how she isolates it. Yeah, and um, but she explains, oh, that's something Muggles can do that wizards can't do. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting, because of course she's all Muggle-born. Yeah. Same, and she's all Muggleborn as where Harry is a pureblood because both of his parents did know magic, but he's just lived in the Muggle world, world so for so long that it's all new to him essentially. Yeah. So so, so it's it's so it's interesting the way, so it gives you one of everything. It gives you Ron who is who is full born and brought up in it, um, and then Hermione who whose family is really happy, mm-hmm. but she's. Got. Well, in the, yeah, and there's this kind of a very interesting economy with that, where you have, um, again, Hermione, who isn't magical born, but is probably the most knowledgeable of magic between all between the two of them, because she is trying to read ahead and learn all that she can she's, to she's, yeah, she's in, a, gonna... in a vain attempt to catch up. Versus yep. Ron, who has always grown up with it, is kind of a little lackadaisical about it. Is like this is just takes the way, it for granted. Takes it, yeah, it very much takes it for granted, and so he's not a very good student as a result of that because he's just. Yeah, it's magic. I mean, I've been surrounded by magic for all my life. Yeah. Um, and then you have Harry, who is, again, also 
brand new to the magical world, but it's kind of like a little half and half almost. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so it's, it's so it's interesting the way that's done. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the movie. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I did actually want to mention here, do you know why there's a difference between, in America, it's called Sorcerer's Stone versus in in London and elsewhere around the world, it's actually known as Philosopher's Stone? No. So um, Scholastic, which was, which was able to buy the rights to, produ- to uh, produce it here in America, um, made a number of changes to the book initially to kind of de-Britainize it a little bit. So, mom and and, and 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 mother. Some of the ways they rephrase some mom. of the yeah. they rephrase some of the Britishy stuff to make it seem more logical for American readers who would not be familiar with these terms. And that happens frequently when you do um, even in an English to English language. I mean, like there's certain yeah. idioms and common stuff. You know, um, that's in. Oh, uh, do you know what a WC is? I don't. Okay. In Britain, WC in 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 France, they they turned around, they copied it, and it's WSA. But um, uh, a WC is is uh, a water closet, a toilet. Ah, you know I, the one I hear the one I hear the most is um, again if you go to du- uh, James Bond, um, it's 007 instead of zero zero seven. Yeah. Um, and so I've, having worked in hotels a lot, I've had somebody tell me one time, you know, oh, can I add your phone number to the thing here? Yeah, it's three double eight eight seven double seven. And I was like, I'm sorry, say what? And eventually I picked up on it. It's like, oh, three eight eight three seven you know, three six seven seven. Yeah. Because it's double seven or double eight. So. Yeah. And that's where you get double O from. So again, like there's certain idioms um and and i would imagine there's very much a lot of that stuff that happens here in america as well we're like because we love our idioms as far as stuff goes yeah um and even just like uh even slang words that don't naturally translate to other languages very easily yeah so um so one thing we always have to know about the movie is that um again the book is like an eight hour read if you're narrating and the narrator goes pretty slowly through it yeah uh but the movie is about a two hour 20 minute movie still um, and so there's a lot of elements in the movie that need to be cut out in order to be able to uh, simplify it. Now, there's a lot of stuff that just because you're describing stuff in the world gets kind of shortened down anyways, but there's a lot of stuff that doesn't need to be included at the end of the day that you can breeze past. Yeah. Um, so there's some kind of pros and cons to it. Um, I'm going to say that, like, I love the, I love the cast. Love the cast. Um, I think they were able well to find... Well chosen. What I found particularly interesting is they are able to find a cast. They were able to get them for... Um, because, again, all the actors that... All the school all the school actors um, who do all the... All the actors, again, really, um, are there for multiple years playing right, right down roles. to the Right down to Goyle. And mm-hmm. right down to sort of background characters that, that are in it. Yeah, they, they played their characters for the entire length of the 10 and, years of production. And then you have really quality um, actors who, who would have had other opportunities, like Alan Rickman, mm-hmm. um, who are, are in it for the entire time as well. Yeah. It, a lot it, wasn't of, just, it wasn't just the kids. Wonderful to have the kids be age-appropriate through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And um, and be able to keep the same characters. But, and, great, and great that you had the teachers, which do have this... Uh, you know, background of acting and then be able to kind of lead scenes and kind of be this um, authority figure pretty much at the end of the day. Because, again, you can very much see the difference in how 
Um, the children are very much kind of a... Um, it, they're child actors. They're not the best child actors that we've ever seen in the world, but they're still but they're fairly decent in these roles at the end of the day. Well, and 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 you see even within the first movie growth in them as actors mm-hmm. improvement. Yeah. You see them getting better, and they would just yeah. continually keep getting better throughout the different yeah. movies. Um, I love the way that they did the castle. Yeah, the castle is even more impressive than when I originally read the book and thought about it. Yeah, um, they do a great job with the castle and making it really honestly seem as if this like magical mystical giant moving, structure moving staircases yeah the way they were able to pull off some of the effects in there yeah. um the cgi for the most part doesn't take you out of the movie the ghosts those ghosts are great um cent- i mean the only thing that really kind of took me out was the centaur but for yeah. 2001 i kind of can ex- kind of can accept that because like you know, even Toy Story when it came out in ninety what ninety eight ninety seven. Well, what was the James Cameron movie with the with the blue people? Avatar. Avatar. Okay. A- so Avatar came out in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. I want to say the the un- the the centaurs reminded me of the characters in Avatar. Yes. Uh, I mean, again, I mean, like there's there's some level of boundary that you kind of have to get past a little bit to recognize that like. It is early two thousand. It is early two thousand CGI. So I mean, like there was never going to be perfect one to one. Yeah. You know, sort of thing where it's blended properly. But I mean, like for the most it's part, not bad. it doesn't take me out of it at any particular yeah. point. Um. And so, and then so that's what I want to say right there. Also, love the music by John Williams. You know, like who did Dances with Wolves? I mean, I mean, if you look at at the difference between different movies that he scored. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it does, it is very lyrical and very sort of magical, bippity boppity boopy. Yeah, it always, yeah. it's the perfect in its level. Own way. Yeah, it's got this perfect classical sort of nature to it that's just, yeah. you know, fits with the with the regal sort of majestic magicness of it. There's the yeah. certain spring of life and into it when it's playing. It's bouncing. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the things I didn't like in the movie, and this is before we get to any of the changes in the movie. Uh-huh. Um, as much as I do not mind Seamus Finnegan, I kind of wish they cut him out of the entire movie. I get that because he's kind of he kind of becomes a he's, he's a background a running, he's a running joke in the he's background, just a yeah. running joke where like things explode around him. Um, in the book, he's often paired with Neville Longbottom, so all the stuff's kind of happening between them. Yeah, but Neville's so not in the movie a lot, but he's referenced a lot in the books. Is always kind of just being this clumsy oof. Oh, that you could have yeah. given all those scenes to Neville to kind of build up Neville at the end of the day. Because keep in mind, I mean, like, we'll, we will have... Seamus is rarely mentioned in the book. He's there as a, as a prominent background character, and he's yeah. always mentioned along with other people that are kind of talking. But he's never actually, like, doing anything of prominence at all. But Neville is always forever in trouble, or he's forgotten something, or he's clumsy, or his cauldron is melted... And he's forever doing that, and it would have been better to kind of make more note of Neville, I think, in the movie, because that would give him more prominence um, and agency, because when he goes to stop uh, Harry, Hermione, and Ron from leaving, like, you're kind of just like, who is this kid? Like, he's just another kid. Like, okay, whatever. But if he was constantly messing up and constantly had all these accidents, it would kind of make more sense, you know, or you at least know the character that, like, him doing this was unexpected and not typical of him well and and at this point in the in the book you don't really understand 
with his significance or his importance. Is, yeah. I mean, in the book, you mean like he's just written as this very clumsy character. I mean, later books. Do and you do get a lot reference more f- to his grandmother, but you don't. You don't. Ne- you don't know yet. What? Yeah, the significance of that. Yeah. Um, I think that the ghosts were not used properly. Nearly uh, had this Nick. Well, I mean, uh, the most played shiny- by John Cleese. Played by John Cleese. Um, I have. I mean, the ghost would have been a great element to just be background noise of exposition. Yeah. You know, like, a great example was where Nearly Headless Nick, again, played by John Cleese, is walking around. It's like, have you heard Harry's the new seeker? Which is nothing, not something that happens in the book. They actually try to keep it a secret that Harry's yeah. the seeker. So yeah. they're, you know, so, like, they're not, so they're trying to keep that secret. But, like, the fact that he's kind of walking around saying that out loud as other students are nearby, it's kind of like, that's not the way, you know. Like, I would have had it, men- I, you know, I would have had the ghost kind of walking around giving exposition as far as other stuff kind of happening in the castle yeah. to kind of yeah. make it paint this picture of more stuff happening just beyond whatever was happening with Harry yeah um and stuff um the Baron is so poorly done in this case because um keep in mind that the Baron is supposed to be this like is something that all the ghosts and everyone else fears yeah um uh, but he's just portrayed as kind of like a, a like a swashbuckling pirate that's kind of like ah yeah. sort of, not not that menacing um, I, I also find that the way that they give exposition in this movie is way too rushed. Um, they, in a movie like this, in a lot of cases, you try to reuse as much of the original dialogue as possible. Which, which they do. The, which they do a really great job of, but um, they often, to the point of n- kind of missing some of the mark in a lot of cases um one of my favorite my my example of this is going to be um when harry is with the centaur and the centaur saves him the centaur immediately starts going into exposition almost like why unicorn you know why you know drinking the blood of a unicorn is a bad thing yeah without prompt without harry prompting anything at all you know and it's just kind of just it's just just real quick exposition up while he kind of circles around him and nothing else is happening and it just kind of stops the entire movie while you're just listening to this exposition dump of why this is bad. Um, but, versus in the but book, it, but at some point you have to get it in there, and you have to shorten something has to go. Agreed. Um, I mean, I think there was a. I think there's kind of like a you could have condensed part of that here at the end of the day, you know, to just simplify. You know, like you know, you, you know, you, you know, somebody was drinking the blood here. Okay, well that you know you can see you can shrink that down and not use the original book element because in the book it's almost like two or three pages worth of dialogue that's going between them yeah um and you can shrink that down a little bit instead of trying to use the original stuff um the other example is obviously going to be um dumbledore and harry when they're when the first when albador albus is explaining the mirror albus goes to harry and asks is like do you know why do you know what the mirror actually does can you guess can you guess and before harry actually has a chance to say it, you know, Albus is already, you know, further Explaining it rather than explaining. Harry saying it, it, it shows me... What I want. Yeah. You know, and so he, again, like, he doesn't give Harry the chance to... To answer, to yeah. answer it all, or even give that moment of, or at all, because they got to progress through so much stuff quickly. Yeah. Um, so those are my, the, my, my little cons from the movie, um, as far as elements of the movie what did you want to just jump right into the changes yeah because i think that's where i have opinions okay 
So the first one here is that they shorten the... In they, the book, like the first like three drop, or four, they yeah, drop almost they, all the Dursley stuff. They drop, they drop almost all of it. They they really start in. I mean, aside from the actual dropping off of Harry, which is ex- explains nothing. Yeah, just, and, and 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 truncates that, which is mm-hmm. you, you don't know you. So you start out with not really knowing who who the Dursleys are. Mm-hmm. Um, so much as it just kind of like you start off on the morning of Dudley's birthday, and yeah. and. And you get that they, you see that he lives in a in a, a cupboard yeah, underneath the stairs, um, and and you get that it's very much sort of a Cinderella thing, um, in terms of how he's how he's treated and his position in the house. Well, I don't think you need to describe the Dursleys quite in that length, um, because Actually, I think it, I think it becomes fairly obvious of how of how horrible they are right away in the movie. Like it does. You, you kind of can kind of you can definitely look at them and kind of just immediately make that logical leap. It's like, oh, these are the assholes. These are the horrible people. But that beginning portion of the book really does describe like, you know, how all these weird things happening are kind of odd to the Dursleys and which is what piques his interest in in, in knowledge. Um, my one real gripe here is that again I can appreciate that they've shrunk that they've Turn this part into of the movie to basically almost like the first twenty minutes instead of what was the first four chapters of the book, right? Um, because you don't you don't really find you you just hear at one point you just hear Mister Dursley saying we've got to get out of here, and then the next thing you know they're on that, yeah. that island, yeah. And there's no explanation for the why fact they, that there's a storm coming and and why, why the island well, and how they got out of there, why they chose the island at the end of the day. Um, but even more so, I mean, it's just the notion that. Um, now again, like Harry coming with them to the zoo is perfectly fine, but before Harry climbs into the car, Mister Dursley's, you know, chastising Harry about it's like don't any don't you do any funny business? What well, would have been a great way to don't won't have you ruining I won't have you ruining Dudley's birthday, birthday. here at the end of the day, um, you know, which kind of leads to the point like if Harry had been like second class this entire time, he wouldn't really be out of his way to kind of do anything to Dursley to Dudley because he would know what the consequences would be at that yeah. point. Yeah. Um, but what you could have done here as well is you kind of, you could have layered in a couple of, you could have layered in like basically another a couple sentences on here and add to the fact, you know, it's like I won't have you doing any funny business like when you climbed up onto the roof at school during school or all any of the other weird little mishaps and you could have had, you know, but none of that was my fault. It was like I won't yeah. have you doing that. Yeah. You know. And so that way you could kind of paint this picture that like this is why he's chastising Harry over this and that in that Harry, you know, has had weird stuff happen around him to begin with. Yeah. So you could, could have done that. Um, so Harry and Hagrid in the movie, basically once Hagrid kind of saves Harry from the cabin on the Island, mm-hmm. they go straight to Diagon Alley, um, get all of Harry's wizard supplies. And in the movie, um, they go the very next day is that they go to the train station to leave for the train. Well, Harry's birthday is in July. Yeah. And school doesn't start until September. Now in the book, like Harry gets all of his supplies with Hagrid and And he has the fitting and meets meets meets, Mal- Dr- meets Malfoy meets and which gets is, the wand. Which is which is like he I mean the, his experience on Diagonale is really just the wand. Yeah. And Hagrid buying him Hedgewig. Yeah. Uh, and then he goes back to the Dursleys, who, instead of locking him in the cupboard, give him 
Dudley's second bedroom, bedroom where he keeps all of his toys and everything. Yeah. Um, especially the broken toys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's this little so there's this little bit of a variance on there where um, uh, of this variance of time because if the case is that Harry's birthday is in July, um, then you would think that like he would immediately go to school. You you know that school would start the very next day in August maybe, but yeah, that's not the case unfortunately. Yeah. So there is a little bit of a hiccup there at the end of the day as far as the movie goes. Um, getting onto the train station, like we mentioned before. That Dursley just kind of drops them off at the station. Doesn't go onto the platform, doesn't? No. You don't have the, that whole scene. No, yeah. So in the movie, like Harry is walking there with Hagrid. Harry looks at the ticket and is like, "Hey, where is this nine and three quarters?" And he learns, looks back up to Hagrid, who has just disappeared. Was at there point. and it's just gone. Yeah, which is a plot hole because Hagrid's not supposed to do magic at all. Right. Um, which is not well known in the first movie, but later on, uh, but he does mention it actually. He's like not supposed to do magic well they actually do tell you that, that they broke his wand in half when he got in the book yes yeah, yeah in the book when he got they expelled. expelled and then harry realizes that somehow the wand's been incorporated into um the umbrella yeah which i think is which i think is very clever yeah considering like how big that umbrella must be which by comparison to how big he is yeah so um and the, the whole other bit with draco meeting harry and because draco talks about how like, he shouldn't be with part of those kind of wizard family. And that takes place on the train as opposed to in the in the Well so in in the movie that in so in the movie that takes place uh just before they're going to go get uh, sorted get sorted by by in the, the sorting opening hat. banquet, yeah. Um but on the, but it, but on the but Draco does all this on the train initially. Yeah. Um and then you've got um one of the one of the big things that I'm always kind of annoyed about with the movie is that in the book the house points are a big deal. Right. They're mentioned all the time. I mean, like Snape takes points away from Gryffindor because Harry can't answer what should be rudimentary questions. Yeah. Just Harry just doesn't know them because it's not and that's not something they've gone over class here at all yet. Snape's just basically picking on him. But they're talked about all throughout the all throughout the book. They're very rarely ever mentioned in the movie, um, and so as a result here, like they're they're mentioned like very sparingly in the movie, and so like they're 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 come up important element of the book, but not of the movie. So like they don't it makes it seem like and yet the last yet they are the last scene of the movie. Yeah. So yeah, they they sort of get get back burnered and then suddenly become prominent again, and it feels whenever wherever they're important to the story. Yeah. But you know, but in the book again, they're just constantly there throughout the entire thing. So that's that's one of my annoyances. Yeah. Um, one of the well, bi- I, I'm going to give you one of the one of my annoyances, which is in the book you get an explanation of you know people don't want to be in Hufflepuff because Hufflepuff's kind of soft and 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 those those are people that are good at at sort of they're loyal people at the they're end. They're loyal of the day. people. Yeah, you get a little bit more information about the different houses about the different houses what ravenclaw is what mm-hmm. what it, slytherin is what yeah. gryffindor is like so like slytherin's supposed to be the people that are you know who want to covet power so it's usually considered like where a lot of dark wizards come from and and stuff so it's got kind of a negative connotation to yeah to slytherin uh gryffindor is where a lot of the most where like if you're courageous you get loyalty loyalty yeah. you get put in there at the end of the day so it's considered like where a lot of heroes kind of end up going to uh 
Ravenclaw is supposed to be the smart people house. It's the academia. Yeah, the the smart people like. So why didn't Hermione get sorted there? I know, right? Yeah. Um, and then Hufflepuff is kind of the, uh, not necessarily weak, but these are more or less the more. Um, so why didn't Neville get sorted there? Yeah. Well, yeah. It, eventually, I mean, it, eventually, I mean, like, not a spoiler so much, but like Neville actually becomes the the head, the head of Hufflepuff uh, yeah. because he becomes a professor eventually. Yeah. Of herbology. So he becomes the head of the of the Hufflepuff house, which is kind of meant for more loyal, just uh, more loyal kind of down to earth people. Rather, yeah. Really, you know, they're just mages. They're just magical folk, just in the sake for for learning magic. You know, yeah. they're not they're not super invested in anything else. But so they're he, also not super ambitious. No, but but again, and it is painted kind of in a negative connotation in the book. Yeah. Um, but they literally just breeze over it in in. In, in the, the movie, movie, you don't hear anything about that. You barely hear the names of the other two houses. No, yeah. To the point of which you almost never see their colors even. Like, yeah. So Ravenclaw is supposed to be blue and silver. Uh, Hufflepuff is supposed to be uh, orange and yellow. Uh, Slytherin is supposed to be green and sure. navy blue. And then Gryffindor is mm-hmm. red and yellow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Like, you rarely hear any of the other two houses. They almost And they never play any prominent part. They're not big parts of the book either for the most part um, because the, a lot of the house system doesn't come up a lot um, but they are mentioned kind of in background because again there's an entire uh, Quidditch match where it's Hufflepuff versus uh, Gryffindor with Snape as the referee um, with Snape with the intention being is that like oh I'm going to make sure that nothing happens to Harry Potter here at the but I can also kind of you know to make sure that everything's on the up and up but I can also kind of uh be a bit of a dick and, you know, rule negatively for, yep. so I can get my house to win as well. So, you know, la-di-da. Yeah. Um, which is another thing, there's an entire match missing. Um, I think one of the big major changes that throughout the entire, that happens kind of in the middle of the movie here is that how the kids meet Fluffy. Yeah. So, so again, in the book, um, it's because Harry, Ron are going to go to a wizard's duel against Draco and Crab. Hermione tags along because she gets she's trying to stop them, and Neville's already kind of outside of the painting. They're all up at nighttime when they're not supposed to be, and they're running to try to avoid Finch. Meanwhile, in the movie, the staircase just kind of moves, and I guess you could say because they're too new to the castle that they just don't know they that get this, lost. The, they get lost. They don't realize that they've entered the third door corridor. Which so you the would, whole thing of, of of the setup with Malfoy is gone. Yeah, it's absolutely gone. Um, and the trophy room is never mentioned ever again. Well, I think they do go to the trophy room because Hermione. This is where Hermione shows, um, shows Harry that Harry his father. That you, was, you were born into this. Yeah, your father was a which, seeker. Which, so you were natural which, at this. Which isn't what happened in the in the movie in the book, in book at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, the kids just kind of accidentally go into the third floor corridor, which you think would be better locked up. Um, yeah. Because the staircase just happened to move. Yeah. Yeah, because the staircase just happened to move. Um, Mrs. Norris catches them there, and so they run down the end of the hallway, trying to avoid Finch. Um, accidentally open up the door that leads into where Fluffy is, and hide there until Finch leaves. They see Fluffy in there, accidentally wake him up, and then burst out of there afterwards. Yeah, and go back up again. We're able to get back up to their room without um, issue at that point, without being caught in the third floor at all, third floor corridor at all. Yeah, so the fat the fat lady isn't uh, isn't missing. Yeah, so you know, so she doesn't actually play a role or element at all at this point. Yeah, 
Um, so that's kind of a big changeover because it also kind of is where um, they kind of make more they kind of make more of an enemy out of Hermione at that point. But in the book uh, or in the movie, rather, like Hermione, she's kind of dismissive of them at this point. It was like you could have got us killed or worse, expelled. And she's got to get her priorities straight. Yes. Um, another thing that I think is kind of missing out of the entire movie is that throughout the movie, or throughout the book, Snape and Quirrell are constantly kind of like, uh, Snape's constantly uh, on Quirrell. Yep. Like you see, the, throughout the book, there's there's notations of the two of them having arguments, mostly quiet with Snape. Conversations. Quiet conversations. almost, and... Adversarial, but quiet. Yeah, it, which helps paint the picture that Snape's really after the stone at the end of the day. Yeah. But that's not inherent in the movie at all. At one point, you know, in one of their conversations, you know, Snape says, you have to pick sides. Yeah. So it's almost as if Snape's trying to, trying to convince Quirrell at this point. Yeah. Um, and you get, like, one scene of this at the end of the day where Harry is leaving the restricted section. And before he darts into one of the classrooms, you can see Snape trying to... Um, uh, not inquire, but interrogate uh, Quirrell here at this point, um, which I think is at, again after the Quidditch match, where he, before the Mirror of yeah. Erised. Um, did you have the entire everything with with the dragon? Yeah. So so Hagrid gets a dragon egg, mm-hmm. and he hatches it, and, and he and this is how this is how they end up in the woods. It is not Neville. No, no. It's, it's Ron, Ron, Hermione, and Harry, and then Draco because Draco follows them, follows them, and down to Hagrid. Yeah, so they snuck out of the castle mm-hmm. at night um, to go talk to Hagrid. Hagrid is hatching the egg. They know nothing about the egg, but they find out that Hagrid has the egg, mm, and, and it hatches and how, right there, and how he won it, and it hatches, and Malfoy sees it through the window, and then goes to tell Professor McGonagall, mm-hmm. and she takes points away from Gryffindor from Gryffindor 50 points per per, per kid per, per kid for from Ron Hermione and and Harry and then she takes 50 points from Malfoy well what she says is like then you've all got the, all four of you have detention and then Malfoy kind of like snarkly is like I, I'm sorry I misheard you um, all four of us have detention and and McGonagall's like well yes even though you even though your act was indeed you know, genuine in the sense of a noble action, you still were out of bed when you weren't supposed to be out of bed. So you're getting detention too. Yeah. Um, but I don't actually think Malfoy, Malfoy actually loses points at this point. Oh, okay. Um, you know, but I could be wrong. Uh, so yeah, so that's how, and, and the entire element of, you know, when we get back to Hagrid, they're basically, they're basically like, oh yeah, you guys got detention here at nighttime. And Hagrid's like, they took away, you know... Um, you know, they took away Norbert, the dragon. dragon. They took away my dragon, and, and the Finch is just like, oh, grow up. You weren't supposed to have that anyways, but they took it away from me. Yeah. It's like, as, as we're in the book, um, they get it out of there secretly, so Hagrid's, you know, because you would think that, like... And they take it up to the Astronomer Tower. And, and that's how, and Charlie's friends and come and get it. Yeah. Um, and you would think that, like, if Hagrid got caught with a dragon on school grounds there'd be more than there'd just be, there'd be more than just kind of like a like a finger wave at that point yeah. you'd think that he'd be in more trouble for that yeah um which is kind of fascinating at that point um 
So yes, there's a big divergence there. Then you have, um, during the entire getting to the Sorcerer's Stone, at the very end of the book here, um, in the movie, they're missing the potion test and the troll test. But and, they... and and um, the, in the, in the, uh, in the movie, it's that you just need to relax. Oh, yeah. The and pla- Devil's Snare will let you through. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't make any sense because, again, if you were a... If you were a wizard, if you were a dark wizard or anybody trying to get into there, you would be aware of plant stuff here at the end of the day, you would assume? You would think, yeah. So you would think that, like, oh, I landed on this plant, and I have identified... If Hermione's able to identify it right away, you would assume... Oh, a, a wiz- professor would. A yeah. professor or even a, or even a standard wizard that's yeah. not in school would recognize it. Like, oh, okay, just relax and get through it at the end of the day. So that's kind yeah. of a weird element there. Yeah. Uh, but then, but again, but keep in mind, Hagrid earlier today is like, oh no, Snape's, Snape's one of the professors that set, you know, that's defending the the stone, and so you don't see the potion test at the end of the day, which is a, a big yeah. a bit of a bummer from them for them. Yeah. Um, and then you have the entire ending fight. So here's um, something that kind of comes up as a bit of a plot hole, um, but it's actually kind of well explained in the movie. So. Um, when we were first introduced to Professor Quirrell in the movie, he's got his turban on, and and you know it looks like he, like everyone else has gone in to go shake Harry's hand, and Harry's kind of yeah. up there already, kind of waiting for Quirrell to go shake his hand, and Quirrell's like, um, "No, I'm not going to shake your hand. Yeah. I'm going to just be so excited to have seen you and stutter." Um, versus in the movie, he does go and shake his hand, and so, um, and so if it. it and then later on, when he goes to fight, uh, when he's with Harry Potter, Harry Potter, when he touches Harry Potter, he doesn't burn him initially, so he's, he's literally choking him. It's not until Harry actually touches his hand with his own hand, uh, with Harry's own hand, that he actually does damage to Quirrell. So it makes you wonder that if, in the movie, Quirrell was kind of already aware of the protection element on Harry at that point. Yeah. But he, but he also might have just had Voldemort on him as well by then. Which doesn't make sense because Harry's mark would have been hurting more if that were the case. Because Harry mentions by the end of the term that his scar hurts a whole lot more recently, but that's because Voldemort's basically at the school with him at that yeah. point. As were in earlier scenes, he hadn't been. Um, also in the movie, um, Harry touches uh, the hand of Quirrell and his hands uh, burns and starts turning to ash. Um, and then, so Harry's best idea to go stop Professor Quirrell is to literally grab his face, and his face turns to ash and basically kills him at that point. Yeah. So Harry should be going to Azkaban now, which is Wizard's Prison. I think you can make a. Def- I think you can make a case for um, defending yourself um, at the end of the day. Um, and then there's also, um, and then the very last scene with Harry and Professor Dumbledore, um, there's a lot more exposition that gets done there between the two as they have this conversation back and forth with Harry asking questions. Um, but a lot of it that just doesn't make it into the movie. Yeah. For time-wise. Yeah. Um, they've, cut also, it, they've cut it back quite a bit. I've also heard some weird depictions of, of Dumbledore as well, where, um, Dumbledore was meant to be a little bit more sillier, eccentric almost, um, and that he was meant to be an older wizard, but still a very spry older wizard. 
Well, he is a spry older wizard. Yeah, but but he's not shown that to be that in the movie, the first two movies. Because, again, the original actor that was portraying him um, eventually had to bow out and passed away uh, when they yeah. replaced him in the third movie, which I think is a... which. I admit, I think it's a much better uh, Dumbledore at the end of the day, I think. You know, I like the older version of it, but I think this one fits more with the character of being a much older, oh, a much older man, but still very spry and young at heart and still very active. Yeah. Because the actor that went on to uh, portray um, Albus Dumbledore is, again, much, even though he's a much older actor, he's still very young at, at heart. He's probably in, like, his... 60s and 70s, probably in like his 60s versus the other one, which was in his 70s and 80s. Yeah. So wasn't able, wasn't ever going to be able to do a lot of the more um, physically demanding scenes that would come later for Albus Dumbledore, obviously. Um, one of the things I do like in the movie, though, is I like the way they, that they portrayed the wands. Because in the book, they're just described as pieces of wood. Yeah. Here, the wands have a little bit more characteristic to it. Like they have got handles or... Um, knots in the wood or they're kind of shapenly a little bit yeah. so they've got a little bit more characteristics to them they do they change in the final scene um, how Harry so so uh, Hagrid is, is talking to Harry right before he gets on the train mm-hmm. and Hagrid says, says uh, now if they, they mistreat you you can grow have a pair of ears for to go with that tail well you could you could threaten to do magic and mm-hmm. and he, he said but we're not allowed to do Magic outside of Hogwarts. Yes, but they don't know that. Yeah, so it's so it's Hagrid that gives away that that final line versus Hermione. Yeah. So, um, but all in all, I mean, like, if you hadn't read the book, I mean, none of this would have really popped up at all. I think. Might even have been having weird... even having read the book, I mean, it was a long time ago when I first saw the movie, but um, I think I felt like the movie was really true to the book and. Reading them, you know, one right after the other, literally finished the book on, on Wednesday and saw the movie on Thursday, mm-hmm. um, you realize, having been so close to it, that... that uh, you do see the differences. That you do see the differences. But but having read the book a couple of years before I saw that movie, I thought the movie was very, very true to the book. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, and, that's, and that's probably... And something had to go. You couldn't get it all in. No, you couldn't, you couldn't possibly get everything in there. And I, and, I, and I appreciate at the end of the day that they kept it as true as possible and... The changes that were made are logical changes to speed it up. Some of them were silly, though. The snake in the book is from Brazil. Yeah. And and in the movie, it's from Burma. That's silly. Because cause Harry actually asked the snake, where are you going? I'm going to Brazil. Because he indicates earlier in that in the thing, he's like, oh, it's like, it's like, so where are you from? And he taps on, he, his tail kind of taps it's on the sign. sign, and it says, oh, you're from Brazil. What was, was it, it like over there? And then it kind of taps it again. The show's like, oh, bread in captivity. It's like, oh, so you never knew. You never knew what your yeah. home was like. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, so there's that. I mean, I, I think the stuff that they cut out at the end of the day is perfectly fine. And the way that they've condensed stuff makes logical storytelling sense. I mean, like, Hagrid leaving Harry at the train station and disappearing makes perfect sense. I mean, like, if you didn't have to, you wouldn't go back to the Dursleys at all. You would... You would run away as fast as you could from that, yeah. and never, and especially if you had the chance to go live in a house, live even in a, even even if you just had the chance to live in an inn before school started, like anybody would have, everybody would have paid for your inn regardless. So yeah, yeah. So I mean, case. some I mean, some of the changes, you know, make absolute sense. Um, what I thought was interesting was that I I felt like they they, in hindsight, 
Mm-hmm. I felt like they left in scenes that might have been dumpable um, because they actually link to things that don't happen in this book but happen in future books, like him talking to the snake. Yes. You could have clipped that. That didn't have to be there. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think that had to be there either, and, and you wouldn't think that's but, actually a big deal until you get to the second book, yeah. which, which you realize, oh, that is a bigger deal. It is a big deal. So... So some of some of what gets left in gets left in very judiciously because it's it's it, it not important a, to this tale. It's important to the future tale. Yeah, and 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 as a result, I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, here, like it doesn't take away from the story, uh, but does reward you later on for being a for being a good watcher, which is kind of what happened in a lot of the Marvel movies. Like they would mention a lot of the little nuancey stuff in the background that was always happening. But if you were a if you had been watching all the movies, you would feel like you were a genius because I remember them talking about that. I remember them talking about that, and so you would feel like a smart guy at the end of the day because you had recalled um, events that were happening beforehand that are just being oh. casually talked about elsewhere. I was watching um, Thor Ragnarok because it just happened to be on on a Saturday afternoon um, a couple of weeks ago, and I went, "Oh, okay, I know where that comes from." Yeah. Yeah, same sort yeah. of, so exactly what you're saying. Yeah, so in Thor Ragnarok, my favorite part of that is going to be um, when he's trying to get the Quinjet to the Trinani, puts his hand on it, and this is like, you know, confirm identity, Thor. And he's like, you know, he goes through a bunch of other stuff here, um, and eventually he realizes, like, God damn it, Stark. And he says, uh, point break, and that's what turns on the jet at that point. And then he's like, oh, you know, it's like, but yeah. that's, only, that's only a joke for you if you... Remember the first Avengers movies where he like you know where he, Tony Stark makes that joke of Thor at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, that's one of those cases where like if you remember list if you remember the la- one of the earlier movies, that's where the, that's where these little in jokes come from. Um, but in the but in obviously in Harry Potter like, and, and in the Marvel movies too. I mean like these little ADVD points get brought up casually later on or become bigger deals later on as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean uh, the entire uh, Winter Soldier. Uh, or not Winter Soldier, but the entire Civil War is based off of the Avengers. The Avengers Age of Ultron was basically just like, I lost my entire family at the end of that movie. You guys have to pay now for, for what you did there. Yeah. And you wouldn't, and again, if you hadn't really watched that previous movie all the way and figure out what it was, you wouldn't have understand what the one guy's gripe was versus here in Harry Potter. As an example. Why, why are you so pissed off? Yeah, and then and again in Harry Potter, like the snake um, talking to him, seems like such a very trivial sort of thing that was like okay it's a guy talking to a snake but if you're magical hey maybe that stuff just kind of happens you know versus later on where you're like oh no that's parcel tongue that's a big deal that's not a normal trait to your skill to have at all yeah yeah so i find so yes there's elements of that which are interesting yeah um and i and again i don't have a problem with that i think one of my bigger annoyances but I don't think. I think you just never would have been able to get to it, though. Is that if you had to wait for all the books to come out before you started the movies? Because I think that if you knew where all the, where all the books were going, you could have plotted it out a little bit better. We, oh, so so you're saying what you would have left in and what you what you would have left out might have been different if you had been on book seven rather than book four when that movie came out. Yeah, I think because I think at that point here you would have known what was the most important elements, and you could have. You might have condensed it a little bit more, um, but I also worry that if you did that as well, you might have tried to take a single movie and turn it into two books almost. I mean, um, a, a good example of this was Game of Thrones as an example. So, mm-hmm. 
Um, in Game of Thrones, thankfully there's a lot of material in there, so you could do a TV series for 10 episodes, um, at each an hour long. Um, and so, but each one of the different seasons are meant to cover one of the books. So the first book, so the first season is meant to cover the Game of Thrones, uh, Fire and Ice, the Game, uh, the Game of Thrones, and then the second book, the second season is meant to cover mostly the second book, but starts covering some of the later elements as well. Um, and so again, having known, having known kind of where the second, third, and fourth book were going at that point, because they had been released by the time the first season came out, you could lay some of that groundwork as far as introducing some characters that would come up later on as background characters. Or you could hire an established actor or somebody who would be prominent for that role yeah. ahead of time, knowing that this would become an important character much later on, as an example. Yep. Um, or rather, so much as that, you wouldn't hire an actor who might, you know, right away to be a background character, which could later become like, oh, that would be a really great pivotal character later on that has a much bigger role later. Well, I mean, the interesting thing about Game of Thrones is there's just, there's no plot armor, and you lose people that you think are... are really really critical like, like Jason Momoa you lose Jason Momoa at the end of the first season you lose um, oh god what Rob is Rob Stark you lose you lose Rob Stark you lose um, Ned Stark, Stark yeah. and you lose Ned Stark right away because you're just like no no wait that's that's the hero of the entire series like, yeah that's who we're following this that's, for that's, right that's, that's, isn't that yeah. the guy that we're supposed to be cheering and hopeful that yeah. he wins anything? That's no that, that guy's the hero the hero's supposed to win and, and he doesn't win, but yet the the sh- little shit lives for four seasons? Yeah. And you're just like, well, f- uh, no, he's not supposed to live at all. He's a- Talk so, about Schottenfreud, though. Oh, I know, right? When he dies. Ah. So Joffrey. it's so, so perfect, too. Joffrey. Um, but no, I, I also wonder at a certain point here if Harry Potter, maybe not unlike Game of Thrones, might have been a good TV series as well, perhaps. That you could almost, um, that in, a, in kind of in a theory, you could almost take the entire story. Well, you um, could go chapter by chapter and have that be an episode and, and get through a season. I, I, I think so, but I think it would just, I think especially with that first movie, that first portion of the book, like you would have, it would have taken a long time to get to Harry Potter. Before Avery gets to Magic School, it would have been like four episodes, which would have been like a month before you got into it. And so a lot of people, I think, would have just been like, nope, checked out, not interested. I really? Because I I found the first I, I found the first chapter, very. Um... Well, I, I find it interesting because I've seen it already, but okay. I don't find it all that interesting. I would imagine though, like it's a great way of painting the world. I I think the entire Dursley thing, would be a single episode. Yeah. And the end of the episode would be Hagrid's introduction. Okay. Because I, I think see that. It, yeah. and then the second episode would be, Hagrid, um, Diagon Alley. And would find and all the stuff here would finalize with them getting on the train to go to Hogwarts. Yeah. And then like three would be them introduced to Hog. Episode three would be their introduction to Hogwarts, how magical it is, and kind of like starting some of the class kind of stuff to kind of show the nature of the world. Yeah. And you could end it with Draco challenging Harry at that point to the duel, to a wizard's duel. Yeah. The next episode would be their whole entire adventure as far as meeting up with Fluffy, more school shenanigans kind of stuff, and yeah. kind of progress through there. Yeah. So I think you could do it as like a 10-episode miniseries, the first book, um, which I think kind of might work out a little bit better. So you could, especially having known all the stuff that would be there, you could definitely f- start fleshing out a lot of that stuff. You could start 
keep in mind, like as another good example here is that in the movie or in the book, when Hagrid arrives um, on this motorcycle to deliver Harry yeah. Potter, McGonagall makes a point. It's like, where did you get that contraption? And Hagrid's like, you know, I got it from Cerverus. Yes, and you don't meet Cerverus until until, until until book three. Yeah. And so you can start laying some of the groundwork for the little minor details that come up yeah. early on to yeah. so that you could do that. I think also as well is that if you did it... Um, is that if you did it over a course of seven years, you could get actors at that point who you could keep uh, as just as long term for seven years, yeah, um, and have probably the same prominence there. Because one of the big deals, especially for uh, J.K. Rowling, was that she, when they were going to make the movie, that she demanded that it be filmed in in Great Britain. Yeah. Um, so they filmed it purposely in Great Britain, and obviously they hired a bunch of British actors for it. Obviously. Yeah. Um, which makes perfect logical sense at the end well, of the day. Well, it really works for the kids because they've got authentic accents. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, no, I imagine if you did it, you know, I couldn't imagine having, you know... And there were enough of them that, as I understand it, while that was being filmed, they had their own school. Yeah. No, I, you would almost have to have it, your own school there. There was an actual school there for the kids, and then the, it was like a half-day sort of thing, so you'd go from, like, the morning until noon, and then you would shoot in the afternoon yeah, until, yeah. until, like, until, like, five, until, like, five or six o'clock, so... Um, and again, keep in mind, like they were do, they were releasing a movie about every every other every year for a every couple. Every year, yeah, they and were age appropriate, yeah. And then by the time you got to like the fourth or fifth movie, you started it started coming out every other year, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think, and so again, that that think I think that worked a little bit more rationally. Yeah. Um, but again, I mean, like I think you could have started laying cool groundworks early on, like stuff that would have popped up in like the fourth or fifth book that might have not been referenced in the first book. Yeah. Like, you could have had, like, the house elves kind of just in the background. I and actually, never mentioned I, I actually think because I think the house elves, which, which obviously did exist mm -hmm. previously, never appear in the first book. And, and I think that's kind of a hole. Yeah. And again, you, and, just, and, just I, and I think, well, and again, like, if you know what, you know something's going to pop up in, like, the third or fourth book, you can start laying some of that groundwork early on and start adding layers to the yeah. world. Which would make you feel rewarded at, that you remembered stuff like this. Like again, seeing half out, seeing some of the elves there being, even if they're treated poorly, just as background sort of stuff, might spark Hermione's interest in them by the second book and having them getting freed at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you could lay some of that groundwork early on, um, so you'd have a much more deeper world. I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I highly recommend anyone to go read the book. And then watch the movie. And this was your first read of it? Oh, no, no, no. This is my, my second or third, I think. Oh, okay. Um, I, I remember right around the time the last book was coming out, I was like, okay, everyone's making a big deal out of this. And every, and all my friends have told me you should read the books. And I was like, okay, fine. Um, and I actually... There were waiting lines to get into the movies. Huh? There were waiting lines to get into the movies. There was waiting lines to buy the books, too. Yeah, I mean, I, true. It, there were literally snaking lines around bookstores... Yeah. Um, to get, I was pre-ordering them on Barnes and Noble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Back when you can order books on Barnes and Noble. You can't. Uh, I, I know you can, but I mean, like everyone, yeah. everyone goes through everyone yeah. goes through the Brazilian rainforest now. Yeah. Yep. Um. So yeah, no, I, I, I was, I was, so I worked overnights at a hotel, and nobody would ever come into the hotel at, and during the overnights. Again, it was very, it was a very sparse timeshare property. Yeah. Um, so I could. So I basically had my had a laptop that I would bring with me to do stuff. To I could 
watch movies and do stuff at because again there's not a whole lot you can do after a yeah. certain point from like midnight until 6 a.m in the morning when nobody's there nobody yeah. shows up to save your life yeah um so i was basically listening to the audiobooks um overnight oh cool and i was able to get it all done within probably about two weeks or so because um, again i mean like i would be there and i'd listen to like or two or three weeks and i was able to listen to each one of the audiobooks within like a day or uh, two or three days, days yeah so yeah. it was so it was very easy to kind of just get through that super quickly yeah um and again i i like the audiobooks because again it allows me to do other things at the same time like it could be cooking or cleaning i can't do work and listen to the book at the same time yeah i can uh, yeah i can't i can't, okay. I can't do that either i, I yeah. so but you could be but i like to listen to podcasts while i'm driving I like to listen to, to to both podcasts and audiobooks while driving or um, while riding the stationary bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, I would definitely recommend reading them before you watch them because I think what ends up happening is that um, if you read them, you get to still enjoy the movie and for the movie for what it is. But I think if you watch the movie first, you go to read the book and it kind of you kind like, of where did that come from? Where, where did that come from? Or that wasn't in the movie, so it kind of I think it kind of biases you a little bit. Yeah. Um, Another good example of this is that there was a series called House of Cards that was on Netflix, um, but it's based off of a British version of the show, of, a, of a very similar show, which was meant to. So the American version revolves around the American political system versus the British one. Versus, it's mostly about the British political system, and it carries a lot of the same tropes and everything. But if you go watch the British version first and then watch the American version, that's great. You get to enjoy both. But if you watch the American version and go to the British version. The British version is really slow and dry versus like the American version is a lot more like energy. Um, another great example of this is another great series called Full Metal Alchemist. And Full Metal Alchemist was this great manga series um, that ran for like seven, eight years, almost, uh, almost eight years pretty much. Uh-huh. Um, and had a, an, an original anime ad- adaptation in, uh, two th- in 2003. Um, which wildly diverted from the original story. Um, because by the time they got to, like, the, the halfway point in the anime, that had only been, like, tw- 12 chapters of the manga. Oh. So it wildly diverted. So it's real, really quickly diverted quite a bit from the original story. They originally did a later retelling of it um, as the manga was ending. They literally, The manga ended three weeks before the final episode ended. So they timed it almost perfectly. And the newer anime um, actually follows the timeline events of the of the manga much much better. Oh, okay. Um, and so, if you almost don't have to read the manga, if you watch the two thousand, if you watch the two thousand eleven version of the of the story, um, it's just as good. So, if you watch the original Phil Metal Alchemist, you do you fine there. But then you go watch the newer one, the the one that's more faithful to the original story. You get both. Uh, you get both experiences. Versus you watch the one that's more faithful to the original and then watch the one that's not so much, then like you keep watching the older one thinking, eh, this is not as good. Okay. That's why so in this case that's why I recommend watching reading the books first, or listening to the books first, then going watching the movies, because even though you'll know there's a lot of stuff cut out of the movies, you can still enjoy the movies for what they are. Yeah, and you've already gotten the texture that the books add. And plus the the movies also add a lot of the action that would happen in there that wouldn't otherwise hap- wouldn't otherwise be described in the books yeah yeah it just takes place mm-hmm. yeah so we're going to post all the show notes as we usually do on our website at the nerd tutorial podcast and so you can see some of the brick quick breakdown and some of the notes i have here for that 
Also, uh, some some awesome fandom sites. Yes, there's all, okay. So there's a couple different fandom sites for Harry Potter, actually. Um, there's, there's there's Funko dolls. There's there's everything. Oh my goodness! Well, there's, well, again, keep in mind that like you can literally go to a store to. Uh, again, so if you have a Universal Studios nearby you, there's probably a, a Hogwarts land in there, yeah. or Harry Potter land. You can buy wands from the from the from there. Yeah. Um, you can buy legitimate like wands. There, in some cases, like some of the nice prop wands, are close to like a hundred to two hundred dollars. Yeah. Or you can actually make your own wand. In a lot of cases, that was a popular thing for a while. Yeah. Um, there's a couple different fan set, fandoms for it. The main one though primarily focuses on the movie uh, timeline versus there's a couple others which are more focused on the book timeline. Um, so there's a couple of different wikis out there for Harry Potter, but none of them have a really cool name like Wikipedia or um, it's, Alpha It's got to be one of, my, one of my favorites. I love Wikipedia so much. Yeah. I, find, I find that it's such a great name for that. Um, but yeah, so we'll include the fan, link, fan sites as well on our website at nerdtutorialpodcast.com. We continue the discussion at fa- on our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash nerdtutorialpodcast, uh, which is a great way to get updated whenever a new one comes out. Or if you want to follow my Twitter page at twitter at nerdtutorial or nerd underscore tutorial. Um, that's where we post, uh, sh- where we let people know when the episodes come out, but we also are following all of our previous topics as well. So we're now following Harry Potter on there as well. Um, I'm actually kind of interested now. I kind of want to go watch... Uh, the Fanda- Fantastic Beast series of movies because I originally had not uh, those heard, are fun because I, I had heard I had I had heard kind of some negative things about it. I enjoyed them. Yeah, I'm actually kind of curious to see it because now because they're set in a different time frame and they're all set with adults too. So I'm kind of with adults and and they're a little more um, sarcastic. I, I I think. Oh, who's the one guy that plays Dumbledore too? I'm kind of interested to see him as Dumbledore. Um, guy Pierce or. Oh, I forget what the actor's name is. It's uh, worth it's 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 worth I think a it's watch. Kind of, I, think, I think if you like Harry Potter, this is a logical place to go with it. Um, maybe you watch it on Monday night when you come for dinner. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um, but until the meantime, we hope that you guys stay safe out there in these weird times, and we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.